Welcome to Savvy Status Podcast on Call In. This is episode 101, Chomsky-Epstein Connection. Let's cut to the chase. How do you feel about Noam Chomsky's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein? Oh boy, let's dive into this one. I see Scotty, you are up and ready to go. So let's go ahead and bring in Scotty. Let me make sure I have my volume adjusted here for media. Can you hear me? I can hear you just great. How you doing, Scotty? All right, all right. How about yourself? I am doing great in these interesting times we're having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, post-16's kind of revealed a lot of things. Pretty much say that. Um, I know uh, you did a move, you did a... Um, it wasn't a review, but it was like a commentary on the movie about this, um, all these people that were on the train. Uh, and it was kind of like an allegory towards like how capitalism keeps everybody in certain positions. And there was a gentleman who, um, it's kind of like the elder statesman of the people who were trying to make their way to the front. But it turns out that he was part of like he was pretty much a snitch for the conductor of the train. You know which movie I'm talking about? Snowpiercer. Yeah, he was an infiltrator. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I could necessarily say that about Chomsky, but in a way it kind of feels like it kind of feels like that. And if he's like he's having these like meetings with people like um like uh Epstein, who else has he had dealings with? And then you got thinking about the fact of what MIT is. Like, mm-hmm. I like I'm only think the only time I really think about MIT is the fact that he is a professor there. I know, like, it was you know one of the like the most prestigious like colleges in the world. But yeah, like in the, when you started like reading like what they actually do it in a way it kind of isn't surprising so i've tried my best <laughs> uh these past like few years to not really get surprised by people who you admire who fall from grace or in my eyes because mm-hmm. it's like well there goes another one because you easily get attached and Fortunately, much of the left also has this problem with hero worship to where you get to the point where you get surprised uh, about like some of your heroes like skeletons in their closet. Like, I will say that his reaction though to getting questioned about it was really surprised. Like, it's none of your business and <laughs> And then the fact that, and then the fact that he was having dinner, he called Woody Allen, like, a a great artist. Like, I'm not saying that his movies aren't good, but it's just like, it's Woody Allen. Um, Right. And, like, yeah, like, I'm having, uh, I'm having dinner with him and his wife. Well, how'd they meet? (laughs) It's like, it's like, come on, man! Like it, it, yeah. Like it comes, 
to the point where George Collins said it's a big club and you ain't in it. And yeah, it it's really Yeah, That's it's right. really like I mean my dad always told me never meet your heroes. Mm-hmm. My dad always told me that, but I mean, like, I as soon as I saw that article, I was like, "Oh boy!" I said, "People on the left are going to have a field day with this one because a lot of people look up to Noam Chomsky. A lot of people." Just you know? think about how, like, and then the crazy thing about it is, like, he's not in the headline, and a lot of people who see stories like he's to see the headline. Like, think of how much worse it was that he. <laughs> If he would have been in the headline of the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like there was some type of, you know, protection there for whatever reason. Um, now, I think that with this particular situation, it is rather, it's concerning. Because like I said, I, I used to work in MIT and there are a lot of brilliant scientists and thinkers there at that university but you know during my time when i was there i heard some things and there were some things that happened i mean it's not to say that none of these people were ever held accountable there was a professor there when i worked at mit that was held accountable um he was actually accused of sexually harassment uh he was actually sexually harassing students and Uh. it took a lot. It took a lot to actually hold him accountable because he did have tenure status. Uh, he was one of those ones that was beloved, but behind the, you know, closed doors, apparently this stuff was happening during lab hours, which for those oh. who don't know, like students at MIT, they're not just in the lab during the day. They're also in the lab during the evening, sometimes supervised, sometimes unsupervised, sometimes there till one, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. The university itself doesn't close. Like, that's not a thing there. They don't even close for, like, winter break. So, like, during the holidays, MIT does not close. So, like, that was another thing about working there. Like, you didn't get, we would get, like, for staff, we would get, like, Christmas Day off. Maybe they would give us Christmas Eve. But compared to the other universities that got that entire week off, we didn't get that. Because the university cannot close because they always say the labs have to stay open. So, so wait, did you guys at least have, like, you like you didn't have like spring breaks or like any like well there was there's spring break for the students but i mean we still had for to work staff. right uh, yeah yeah we didn't get that time off so i think uh, it's just you know there is this idea for people to believe that these sorry, renowned we, like thinkers yeah somebody yeah, tried to call my bad Oh, no worries. Um, There's this idea for people to believe that these renowned thinkers are like the greatest people ever and that they don't have flaws. And that's not true. They do have flaws and they're not always the best judgment of of. They're not always the best judgment of making decisions outside of their field. And, And what do I mean by that? Like you ever met someone who's like incredibly book smart, but they don't have common sense. Yeah. It was kind of like that sometimes. It's like you'd meet these these professors, like they were incredibly intelligent. But if you ask them to do something that's just like just basic, just basic common sense, they would try to figure out how to do it scientifically. 
It was like, okay, let me come up, let me figure out an equation for this and then this. Like, no, like just pick up the box, (laughs) (laughs) open the box, take those products out, put them here, then put that there. And then you don't have to write an equation for this. This is not this is not something you have to sit down and figure out, but they are those types of thinkers. So in their minds, like yeah. that's where they would go. Did you hear uh, another person I heard about like that had kind of had that issue? And I don't know if that's ever been resolved. But I don't know if you heard this, Michael Eric Dyson. Um, yeah, like he, apparently he. Like, I don't know how true this is, but there's rumors about him uh, with, like, his female students, if I'm not mistaken. So I like, did not uh, know about that. I didn't yeah, know about I've, that, but I will say this happens more often than people realize. Having worked in higher ed, it's it's not uncommon. It does happen, and you just hear about the situations that are reported and catch headlines, basically. Yeah. Uh oh, I think I lost you, Scotty. Are you still there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh my phone kinda went out a second. Uh uh go go on again. Yeah, it happens more often than people realize. Like these professor student type relationships and then, you know, sometimes it's it's a student that's like a grad student and technically they are considered an adult, but at the same time, like everything's fine as long as you're doing what they want you to do. But then the moment that you're not doing what they want you to do, then that can hurt your grade. Right. So then there's that type of retaliation. And I think that this is why you're not supposed to have those types of relationships. This whole idea of like fraternizing with the students, that's why that's not supposed to happen. Even though technically they are adults, it can cause other issues to come about. Mm hmm. But these people are in positions of power, Scotty. Like these are, and that's the thing too. It goes back to the power dynamic. So, you know, someone like uh, a Jeffrey Epstein is like obviously he was a very prominent figure. He was also a con a con artist. He was able to con people and and convince people that he he had a degree from Harvard University. He didn't go to Harvard. He was able to convince people that he was a con man, basically. But this idea that they bring up when they say, I don't understand why these people would have trusted him with their money. Like I said on the show, blackmail is it's not even so much. Maybe they trusted him, but I seriously believe he had dirt on all these people. And I think that's why they were able. He was able to get them to do his bidding. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like the whole the joke that, you know, pretty much like Epstein didn't kill himself, like. Because, and then here's this. Uh-oh, I think you cut out there for a second, Scotty. Yeah, I'll invite you to speak and see if that clears it up. And in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead. All right, Noel, I'm going to go ahead and pivot to you because I think uh, Scotty might be stuck in a glitch. What's your take on all this, Noel? Oh, good evening, um, Sabby and everybody. First, let me say you did a great job with your speech. When we was on field trip, girl. Um, <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> much. <laughs> 
In terms of the whole Epstein thing, um, you know, it's it's tempting to make light of it um, with Noam getting this freak on or having some extra sessions to tutor the young children and this and that, but it is really a serious issue. And for me, in light of everything we're seeing in the in this country today, it's just another example of how the the elite run in circles and they have different criteria over which money overrides everything. You know, I think to myself, it is a virtually impossible for everyday working class people to gain access to these elite um, personalities in the culture. But within their own circles and frames of reference, you never know who is talking to who. You really don't know what they're doing. I think because of Noam Chomsky's reputation and his area of expertise, it is challenging to view him as being, you know, in circles with pedophiles and possibly even being a pedophile himself. But again, to your point, that black book has not been released. And you're not telling me Epstein ran a pedophile sex ring where the actual victims, that being the children who were ensnared in it, you're not going to tell me he ran an elite sex ring and the only person we know about is Prince Philip. It's some other high-powered people. And those young ladies were saying on a few instances that we got to hear from them that they felt like they were being forced to interact with these people who were elites. So there has to be some people in that black book who we would not imagine would have been doing the things that they were actually doing. And I think it's just, you know, I just saw an article today where they were saying Chief Justice Roberts' wife was hired as a consultant um, or headhunter for certain law firms. And she was paid $10.3 million. And, you know, we hear about all this stuff about Clarence Thomas. And these are the things that are being leaked out because it is prodigious for the political fodder that's going on. But what it really gives us an indication of is how deeply corrupt this whole thing is. And that when we get, like they say, the tip of the iceberg, if you look below the water, there's the real body of the, of the iceberg. And we just aren't getting to see it. So. To me, it's just more evidence to suggest that this whole thing is kabuki theater. And as it winds down and the social fabric unravels, we'll see more and more of the Democrats and Republicans in the elite circles telling more of what they've always known in terms of gangsmanship to get the upper edge on the other. I think the stakes are getting higher and higher in terms of who, which, you know, demons rule the swamp and they're willing to start divulging. And I just think it, it really is just another sign that our society is really in deep, deep distress. Well, I was just 
add, like, imagine if he did live, like, if if he was alive, then, you know, what what else would we know? Like, what if those names would have been released? I think a lot of people might have been heartbroken because some of their heroes, like I said, could have been in that book. And this is why I continue to say as well, that's why you can't, like, put people on a pedestal. Like, I don't care, you know, you can love this person or whatever, but you can't put them on a pedestal because you never know. Um, go ahead, Scotty. Can we hear you? Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear. Yeah. What I was uh, actually saying was uh, another thing that uh, reminds me was um, about the the Penn State case of uh, Jerry Sandusky and with uh, Second Mile and uh, you know and in the Big Ten <laughs> in the in Ohio and. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Paterno, one of the most respected coaches in all of college football. Um, I remember back in 2004 uh, where uh, Joe Paterno was asked by the president of the university um, to, you know, leave because it got to a point at, in his career where they were having losing seasons and he came on the porch and asked Joe uh, Paterno to, you know, to step down to retire, and Paterno kicks the president off of his porch. Now, fast forward years later, during, uh, when the controversy breaks up, um, because they were doing what they could, at first they were going to keep him until the end of the season. But then, uh, one, you know, got to the point where it was going to reach the uh, board of trustees. Um, they fired Joe Paterno. So you're only as useful uh, until it affects the people up top. Um, yep. Yeah, like, so, like, <laughs> I always thought it was pretty arrogant of Epstein to, you know, think that he can hold all this information on these powerful people. And in no way that it was going to, you know, uh, come back to haunt him. Like, hell, like, even the guy out here, Lex Westner, he's, like, the big uh, head honcho out here in Columbus, Ohio. Like, he, you know, he's, like, plugged in. Like, uh, you go around uh, Ohio State, his name is all over, like, the Art Center, uh, the Wexner Medical Center, or like the uh, the hospitals uh, connected to OSU, and so yeah, like <laughs> he's had his tentacles and everything, and it still didn't matter uh, near the end of his life. It's still yep. caught up with him somehow. Well, the thing is, too, I think people need to realize is like, why is it that they were able to get away with this for as long as they did in the first place? It's because they have they had the money and the resources to do so. And then you also find out that there was a CIA, you know, official also meeting with Jeffrey Epstein. So this is a person that because of his his his, uh, you know, means his wealth, he was able to have relationships, this guy had relationships with people that were part of the CIA, not just mm -hmm. everyone wants to talk about, um, uh, everyone wants to mention 
Bill Clinton, right? Everyone mentions the pictures of Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein. That's the obvious stuff. Those pictures are, you can Google them. They're there. They're present. What we should be focusing on are the people and that we have not seen in pictures with, with Jeffrey Epstein, who still had relationships with Jeffrey Epstein. And those are the big, I don't even think, like when people mention like um, Bill Clinton and people mention uh, Trump or, or now Noam Chomsky, I don't even think those are the big players. I honestly believe that Jeffrey Epstein was meeting with some very powerful, powerful people. And I don't mean in the country, I mean in the entire world. And I think that's why they won't release that black book. But the fact that he was able to have that type of control over someone that was a part of the CIA. Again, like I said, this guy had dirt on these people. And it must have been a lot of dirt because remember the very first time that they raided his residence in um, not Palm Beach, but um, I always want to say Palm Beach. But um, the one in California, Palm Palm Desert, Palm Springs. When they first raided that house, all the they all the videotapes, that stuff was there. Like you see what I'm saying? Like this was not a secret mm-hmm. what this guy was doing. And what people need to ask is like what was on those videotapes? Who were in those videotapes, right? But the troubling thing I think for a lot of people on the left is the fact that they look at someone like Noam Chomsky as like not just a hero but someone that they greatly admire and someone that they look up to. How many times have we heard left to say this? Like, I greatly admire Noam Chomsky. I, I really look up to him, yada, yada. And it's like, you know, how well do we really know these people? Even at the end of the day, Noam Chomsky was in a class that the rest of us, most of us are not a part of. If you're in the type of class where you're meeting with freaking billionaires, we are not a part of that class. I don't get to meet with any billionaires. They don't even know me. I may know their name. That's it. But that yeah, is very uh, that is very odd. Like you're meet you're hanging out with Woody Allen and Jeffrey Epstein. So yeah, like this is not to say that Noam Chomsky did not do good work in the past. But as time went on, particularly in the past like two years, Noam Chomsky's takes have become a little bit questionable, in my opinion particularly the statement that he made saying that people who didn't want to get vaccinated should basically be exiled to their own island, like to an island of just them. It was the weirdest take coming from someone like him. I never thought he would say something like that. Uh, The statement that he made in reference to force the vote, it's like asking kids for candy or something. That was very odd. I'm like, what is this? Have you been co-opted? I mean, well, he always kind of, like, uh, had this, like, had this whole thing of, like, sheep herding people back into the Democratic Party. Uh, <laughs> and he always, like, uh, I, I remember um, he was part of a list of people back in 04, uh, a list of, like, left intellectuals asking uh, Ralph Nader not to run in the 2004 election because they were frightened by George W. Bush. It's, it's really, it's really interesting looking back like, you know, almost 20 years now and thinking like you're doing the same shit you're doing about Trump uh, about 19 years later. Um, and 
Here's the All other right. thing. Don't sleep on the fact that these people who move in those circles have orbits and handlers. This is not Jeffrey Epstein and Jelaine Maxwell doing this just as a two-person operation. There are people who are involved in making these types of transactions and interactions come to pass that see a lot, keep a lot hidden, and we never know until 50 years after everybody's dead until somebody has the courage to come forward and write a book. And the other thing is, I would say, don't sleep on this connection between Epstein, Israel, the Mossad, and Dershowitz. There is something there that we will probably never know. And we'll never know how many people in that black book were, you know, from Israel. You just never know. And it's this whole unsavory connection. And we're told as the masses, oh, just to trust and believe in this and that. And, you know, their reputations precede them. But when it's and it's the reputations that have been manufactured for public consumption that precedes them. But what they're really doing is a whole separate universe of things that would probably mm -hmm. make all our heads spin if we really knew what was going on. But it's seeping into the public discourse now. And I, like I say, I think it's because this thing is unraveling and people can't hold their peace anymore. They're sick of it. And they're starting to stab each other in the back. But it, it's like amazing to me, the stuff that's just, and it seems to be, Every drip turns into this leak and then it's drip, drip, drip until the whole flood comes out. And it's like, you know, but like I say, there are people who make these things possible. You know, they may not move in those circles, but they facilitate them. Well, you they make the see. arrangement. Yep. We would never see those people. Hey, They're uh, kind of like Seth. a shadow, so to speak. Savvy, I, w I wanted to, um, you know, bring up uh, another topic, but um, Jose Vega, uh, like he put out uh, a clip of the gentleman, the uh, the dean of uh, Columbia Journalism School, like uh, kicking him out of the of you know the meeting that they had. I didn't realize that Jelani Cobb was the dean, uh, and I remember. Like, uh, like I heard his voice and I, he sounded familiar. Like the first time I heard about him was, um, there was this documentary, uh, Byron Hurt did. I don't know if you uh, know that name. Byron Hurt did this documentary about like the, like misogyny in hip hop, uh, in like the mid 2000s. And Jelani Cobb was working at Spellman and they were talking about, the part like uh they were talking about um the uh issue that Nelly had with the uh, uh, the uh there's a group at Spellman that uh took issue with his tip drill video. I remember seeing him I was like, wait I remember a second. that. Like yeah. that yeah, that's like that's the guy who tackled him? Yep. Yeah, I didn't even know he was the I didn't even know he was the dean and now like 
I'm sitting there thinking, like, if you listen to that, uh, that exchange, he says, you're not, uh, uh, I'm not going to let you in my event. This is supposed to be a press event, and he's calling it his event. And I was just like, wow. And I remember seeing this guy, like, he was part of that, like, that uh, class of, like, academics that was very anti-Bernie, and, like, he, they hung their hat on the fact that, you know, judging, not saying that you couldn't have um, judged Bernie for his uh, shortcomings on race, my only issue was the fact that it seemed like they singled him out and didn't do that for the other Democratic Party candidates. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, uh <laughs> In a way, now that I think about it, like it, it kind of doesn't surprise me that he would do something like that. Uh, <laughs> you can obviously tell like he's protecting his uh, spot in within those social circles. I mean, and he did, he got an MSNBC job, so like you know they don't do mm-hmm. that for anything unless no. they see you useful for something. No, no, they don't. Let's bring in uh, Eric. Eric, I want to get your take on all of this, too. Yeah. Um, I can't say I'm surprised. Um, Why are you not surprised, Eric? I mean, because it's, like it's like all these people in, in these influential positions always have something going on in the dark. It's just weird. It's... It's just it's just basically the reason why you don't get too close to these types of people. Mm-hmm. Like my I'm telling you, my dad stands by this. He says, never meet your heroes. <laughs> and, it, and funny enough, I got reminded of um uh it was a video I, I guess it was a video Cornell West was a part of a conference like some years ago. Uh well, on a panel or something. And he mentioned something about um, let the phones be smart, you be wise. And I guess his whole point was about ambition. So it just seems like these guys, like we talk about like the academia and stuff like that, like um, whether it's these bosses, whether it's these boss-employee relationships with these professors and some of these students, and Man, this is just, it's just all, it's just like these relationships are just set up to, for these higher ups to take advantage of, of the situations and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Listen, there's a whole network of people out there. I truly believe that, again, we would n- probably never even know they exist. We would probably never hear from these people. Um but are just doing things that obviously the ordinary person would be held accountable for. And what I want to mention is, you know, Noam Chomsky's response, like Scotty was saying, that was a cringe response for him to say, well, why are you asking me this? Why do I need to reveal this information? Like, uh, because you met with Jeffrey Epstein after he was convicted. Yeah. So you can't say you didn't know. Like, that's the thing. You can't be like, well, I didn't know about that. No, you knew. Yeah. Just, 
why? How could you? How can anyone be that stupid though? Like, why would you associate with somebody like that? Money. Yeah, that. But money, because all these people like this type of class of people, like they all run. Like a lot of these people run in the same circles, so it's like. If you are friends with someone like Jeffrey Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, that tells me a lot about you because that means you in that kind of circle, right? Like, yeah, Noam Chomsky is, you know, was like this brilliant professor. And yes, like he talked about manufacturing consent, like everyone knows him for that, right? But at the same time, Noam Chomsky was going to dinner with people like Woody Allen and Jeffrey Epstein. And if that is the case, then maybe that makes sense as to why Noam Chomsky at the end, even though he would talk about manufacturing consent, even though he would say, yeah, we need to have like more like a, uh, like a socialist uh, environment. Even at the end of it though, he would always tell you to vote for the lesser of, of two evils. He would tell you to vote for the people that were going to protect the status quo and would protect people like him financially and people like Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, this is what it all comes down to, people. That's why I say, like, the rich people, they have class solidarity. Mean, mean, meanwhile, the, the, the everyday proletariat as a whole can't get shit together to save our lives, at least in America, anyway. <sighs> well, no, people, a lot of people were very sad on Twitter when this came out. Some people were freaking out. Some people were sad, and they said they were heartbroken, and I can't, you know. And I was just kind of like, he puts on one pants leg at a time, just like you. Yeah. That's why you can't put people up on pedestals. And that when you do that, you start to believe that like they can do no wrong. And you can also be quick to defend them. Now I got to give props to the journalists who reported this story because I was surprised that this story was reported in the wall street journal. You expect something like this to break like the gray zone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because they're not afraid to talk about corruption. You expect something like that to break there, like from independent investigative journalists. I did not expect the story to come out in the Wall Street Journal. And that's why I was kind of like, whoa, what an explosion there. Because they didn't just mention him. They talked about CIA agents. They talked about um, Ariana uh, Rothschild. Like, that's huge. Damn. Yes. It... <sighs> I, I guess I'm thinking about uh, I guess I'm thinking about something else too, um, and, and it kind of has to do with the whole. I, I guess with the whole thing in higher education and whatnot. Do you think some of that is being somehow blamed on, like K through twelve teachers? Like that's some of where the indoctrination bullshit accusations come from. Yeah, it's just because I'm I'm kind of looking at these people that say that I go, what power? I can barely keep your kid up. <laughs> what 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 are you talking about? Like this this is just nuts. I always tell people, man, like you 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 think you know people and you don't know them, and then here's the problem. Then when you do like hero worship people or idolize people, whatever you guys want to call it, then it's like, then when they get in trouble, then it's like, you can't accept it. 
then it's like you feel like you have to defend them because that's someone that you looked up to, your hero, your role model, whatever you want to call it. And I always tell people, you should be your own hero. Yeah. <laughs> you should be your own hero. Don't look up to these people as like your role models or anything like that. Because you got to understand that you start doing that, then they get in trouble and then you're disappointed or you're quick to try to defend them. And my thing is, if you're trying to defend them, and some people were trying to defend Noam Chomsky, and I'm like, what? why the fuck are you defending them? Why are you defending him? No, fuck that. He met with this guy after he was convicted, okay? Not before. Let's say you're right. There's no defense for that. I mean, I, I guess I personally learned the lesson of not looking up to people just... I mean, I like a lot of Michael Jackson music myself. So I was like, dude, like, look, you're, you're never going to be, you're really never not going to be in the same class as him. You may never even meet this dude. Yep. Like, why are you investing this much in someone you'll never, you'll barely ever, you'll never meet slash will never actually know personally? Because that's uh, their hero. That's someone they look up to. I'm like, I have this, I'm like, I have this realization as someone, you know, as a kid, like how, <laughs> it's like, don't 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 invest that much in people in in other people like that. But but yeah, this shit. This should be a lesson lesson learned, hopefully. But the but here's the thing: what is the real lesson that these experiences that are coming forward are really? telling us what is the spirit saying to the church as the old folk would say and i dare say that these you know things that are coming to the fore are just indicators of what a real illusion we all have really been living sometimes all our lives i mean i went to catholic school and that was in the 70s you couldn't tell me that those white women in those habits and all that black and white were not a better grade of people, that they were not closer to God. Because again, it's all the symbolism that's built around it. And so when these iconic institutions and people start to you know, be revealed and exposed to be just as frail to the human condition as we are, then the entire spectrum begins to collapse around us. You know, America is built out of lies. The American dream is built out of lies. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, is built out of lies. We, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal. It's a bunch of lies because the preponderance of the realities that were going on when all these things were being said and done, you have a quagmire of filth going on. So they, they, they train us and the programming absolutely does start in elementary school, pledge allegiance to the flag and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the main people at the top who are supposed to be the standard bearers, that if you dare critique them, people want to beat you down. They're the ones who've gotten all the latitude, doing all the criminal stuff, you know, having all the sex in the world. 
And it's just like, it's, it's calling. I think as a culture, we are being beckoned to a, a next level of evolution where we set aside all of this stuff and get real with people, or we're going to collapse and maybe something more prodigious will emerge from the ashes. But this, to me, I feel like this is Caligula. I feel like we're at the fall of the Roman Empire when everybody was just doing everything. And it's not that they weren't doing it all along. It's been, it's coming to the point where it's being exposed. And I think more information is going to come out, too. It's only a matter of time. You know, the fact that they revealed even this much information to me, that is the big shock because I wasn't expecting to hear of any names of people that met with him, at least after he was convicted. So the fact that they even released this information, it's it's very telling. Now, who else is out there? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of other people that are out there as well. And I would encourage everyone to, if you haven't followed Whitney Webb, definitely follow Whitney Webb because she's been talking about this for quite a long time. Um, and, you know, they, they came after Whitney Webb because she wrote a book about it. So they came after her. And it's just, I'm sorry, but I think more and more information is going to come out about this as time goes on. And I, I'm just preparing you guys because don't be surprised if it's someone that you may admire and that information is leaked about your favorite person, you know. Yeah, the, damn. Again, you just can't get too close to anybody. And the other thing we can't lose sight of is when these stories come through the official institutions of this culture, we know that those stories are greenlit. You don't get to publish anything from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and all of this without somebody green lighting that story. So to a certain degree, it's like red meat. And I'm saying, okay, you allow this to be published, but what portion of the story are you not telling? And what are you trying to really distract us from? You know, just like with the Clarence Thomas thing, you know, Clarence Thomas, Jenny Thomas, now we're starting to hear about, um, one of the justices sold a piece of property and it was sold to some law firm that had come before the court over 20 times. We're hearing about Chief um, John Roberts' wife. But here's the thing. Those incidents did not occur yesterday. Those things had been going on for years, but they only come to surface in the aftermath of the reversal of Roe. And that's when it's like, okay, you've gone a bit too far and we need to expose you while you're trying to put all these restrictions on us. We need to unmask you. But the information was out there years before, but it just wasn't prodigious to start telling it. And that is the problem that we have in this culture. As the old folks used to say, honey, the half of the story ain't even been told. Yeah. I just want to, Noel just said, in order for these articles to be published from corporate outlets, it has to get the seal of approval from the editors. So someone at the Wall Street Journal gave this the stamp of approval. Now, this is not to say that there weren't other names that that journalist could have had that could have been removed from the draft. We don't know. 
We only know the information that was presented to us. And this is why I tell people, like, you have to be very careful about the information that you see, because just because there weren't other names that were listed in that article doesn't mean that journalist didn't have other names. What if that journalist did have other names and the editor said, no, don't mention those, scratch those or mark it up with red pen and say, nope, scratch those and you can release the rest. We don't know. The only one who knows is the person who wrote that article, the person who got that information. But like I said, telling you from experience, those publications have to get seal of approval first before it is published. So somebody gave it the green light, like Noel said. Yeah, just damn. Um, these these are the names that were put it this way. These are the names that were acceptable to publish. Yeah, yeah, they were they were the easiest names to throw under the bus. Man, this country's a damn joke. And I hate to say it because I worked there, but, and you know, and I had good times at MIT. I had good times at not so good times, but I hate to say it, but this puts MIT in an uncomfortable position once again, because when he was first arrested, the president of MIT, Raphael had to issue a public statement saying that, yes, he donated money to MIT, but apparently he was an anonymous donor. So yada, yada, we didn't really know. And da, da, da. Nah, bullshit. I called bullshit back then. And I said, no, someone knew. Someone did know. <laughs> okay. Someone did know. If no one knew, then it wouldn't have been reported that he donated money to MIT. So somebody at the university did know that that money came from him. And then it just made, it made MIT look suspect to the public is like what the hell like why would you guys look when we talk about donations like money coming from people a lot of these people donating to these universities i can tell you from experience these people are rich like michael bloomberg donates to harvard robert Kraft, you know owner of the new england patriots donates to harvard like they're not getting donations like these big dollar donations. They're not getting donations from people like me and you. Our names aren't put on buildings at these universities. If you see someone's name on a building at a university, just know they have a lot of money and resources. Okay. The Questrom School of Business, which I worked at at BU, is named after Alan Questrom. Before that, it was called Boston University School of Management. He donated $50 million to the management school. So they changed the name of the building and named it after him. And he is a, a you know, avid Trump supporter. Alan Questrom, if you look it up on YouTube, Alan Questrom has been on Fox News. He's been on Fox Business supporting, publicly supporting Donald Trump. And it was right before I decided to leave BU when it was time again for him to decide if he was gonna donate again, because these donors, they're usually recurring donors. And Alan Questrom was not happy with the enrollment numbers at the business school. So he put his money on hold. That's why when I tell you universities, these are businesses, these are not just schools. That's what it has become. That's what me and Chris Hedges was talking about. It has become just a business and it's all about pleasing the donors. So when we got that message, 
from the dean, which came from Alan Questrom. Then there was pressure put on us. You guys got to up the enrollment numbers. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm like, can't make motherfuckers come here. <laughs> For real, it's 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 like this is this is this is basically like the endless commodification of America. Like universities, hell, even public education, it's happening to. Yep. Especially with us having these goddamn curriculum maps and shit, and having to having to do all this shit for a test. Like, just imagine my pain dealing with math. And you know, and you know, with some some of these kids with COVID, it's been like what two years. So yep. I'm supposed to I'm supposed to be a, be a goddamn magician and wave a goddamn wand and shit and try to fix two years of gaps in math. And then somehow I still get shit for being behind on the on the actual main curriculum. <laughs> it's all about the money. Where is the money coming from? Like, that's what you got to link it all back to. So, the fact that someone mentioned Prince Andrew, uh, I think it was Noel said Prince Andrew was the only one that was named, and notice he was not held accountable. So, what that tells you about the power that the royal family has. <laughs> Damn. Just damn. Thanks for the correction. I thought it was Prince Philip, but you're right. It's Prince Andrew. Well, we can, you know what? Prince Philip had his, has his history too. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that for another night of discussions. But it's just, that shows you the power that the royal family has. It's like, you mean to tell me Prince Andrew's still walking around and he's not in prison somewhere? Off of a family that basically... You know, they have the status that they have because they were born into it. It's not like they worked for it. They're funded by the taxpayers. The taxpayers are paying for their, their way of life. This is just, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. But And the fact that you can't tell me, and I know she, I know she passed away, but you cannot sit up here and tell me that Queen Elizabeth had no indication about Prince Andrew's behavior. And I say that because it has been known before, prior, prior to all this information coming out about Jeffrey Epstein, it was already known that Prince Andrew was messing around with underage girls. Well, you know, the, the royal family has a, a history that dates back to the just doing all manner of debauchery and getting away with it. So that's a whole nother thing. But I think it's interesting. Again, like I say, Red Meat, the most well-known character to come out was Prince Andrew, who hails from a whole different country. So it throws all the attention, though it's still at the elite circle, it throws it into an arena where we know our reach in terms of holding them accountable is going to be fraught with all type of difficulty because of international law and all of this type of crap. But again, by exposing Andrew, it distracts you from all the elite in this country who really could be held accountable at a different clip. But you know, it 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 reminds me of when I think about this nation's history, because you know, I'm always looking at the, the long look back as an indicator and in trying to get some projection of what's going on in the present and the way forward. But I think a part of the problem, the bigger problem that has happened in this country is we've gotten to the place where the disconnect 
between the elite and the masses is so utterly complete that they're used to, to doing what they do without repercussion from us. And they don't understand how we exist and they're, they get lax and loose and they just do what they do. I mean, when you look back at the time of the robber barons and the Carnegies and this and that, they understood that there was a distinct connection because of all the labor battles and this and that. And, you know, they had come to the point where they recognized that they had to do certain things for the masses. And that's where you get the Carnegie Mellon Foundation and they were building libraries and art museums and this and that to build that connectivity to the lifestyles of the poor and working class to say, oh, he's not all that bad. He built this library. Well, and then you come along with FDR who said in order to save capitalism, I am going to have to implement this plan where we attend to the lives of the people. But fast forward to the modern age, when the financial crisis of 2007-8 occurred, Barack Obama felt no need to twist the arms of the people who had brought this economy to its heels. He felt no need to hold them to any degree accountable. He bailed them out. And I think that whole movement in the broadest sense, you know, gave them more freedom to say, well, we could do whatever we want to do. We're above the lower gallery and there is no accountability. And that's why we're seeing these banks starting to have problems now because the, the rules that Dodd-Frank implemented, which was not equal to Glass-Steagall, even the few that they put in place through Dodd-Frank got weakened and Barney Frank was one of the players who was, you know, helping weaken it after he had moved out and moved into public life. So yep. it's like anything that happens, the most heinous things that they do, they bail each other out. And now Obama's living on Martha's Vineyard all large and this and that. So they have... The connection between the two tiers of the society is so divorced that it really is going to come to a collapse because we are a society divided. There is no continuum from upper to middle to lower. It's rich and poor. And all history tells us when your society polarizes around those two poles of rich and poor, it's headed for collapse. It's on the precipice of collapse. That's right. That's a good point. No, well, let's not forget the point that like for Noam Chomsky to be okay with hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein after he was convicted, one of his responses was, well, he served his time. Why would you even take like knowing who you are, knowing your position? Why would you be that receptive to hanging out with, let's just call it what it is, a rapist? Like this is some weird shit to me. And I just don't understand how anybody can just shake that and just be like, oh, okay, whatever. It just, why would you put yourself in that position? Because think about it. Epstein in this situation was the one who got caught. I believe that those people who live at that level of freedom, they know that they have people in their circles who have different types of propensities, do a 
stuff and this and that. And as long as you don't get caught, they know that some of those big donors, just like with um, um, Clarence Thomas has this connection with um, Crow out of Texas. And they're saying, oh, you know, not only is he rich, but he has a signed copy of the Men Comp. And, you know, he has all these statues to the Nazis and this and that, as if it's yep. just as a matter of fact. And I'm saying one of our Supreme Court justices is claiming this type of person as one of his family friends. You know, it's like, hold, what's really going on here? Eric, anything else you want to add? And then I'm going to move on to Ruben. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, really just, um, just one, just one quick thing, I guess I just want people to think more about if you haven't already started thinking about it. Jesus, what, like, what, what fucking world are we about to hand these, these younger generations now? Cause that's, it's just like, Damn, like, but I don't think this is new. It's it's just it's it's frustrating with all of this on top. Like, Mm -hmm. all this shit going on, all this shit going on, all these prices, all this other bullshit with these elites and. But I don't. I don't. I don't even think this is new. I, I think this type of behavior has been going on for a long time. We're just now finding out about it, and I think. You know, it's, it's a wake up call, I think, for a lot of people. But you can't tell me like, I, I listen, I remember watching interviews. I don't know if you all are familiar with Corey Feldman. He's um, an actor. He was a famous child actor. Right. And then he kind of trickled off a little bit, did a couple of reality shows. But anyway, he used to do these movies with this other guy named Corey. It was Corey and Corey. And they apparently were like best friends in like real life. And Corey Feldman, when he became an adult, he came out with these stories about what was happening in Hollywood and what happened to him. And he said that he was sexually abused in the industry. And so was the other Corey. Corey Haim was the other Corey. So was Corey Haim. And basically he got blackballed from Hollywood after saying those things and people didn't believe him. And then here we fast forward years later to Harvey, uh, Harvey Weinstein. And then people are like, oh my gosh, like, you know, uh, no means no. And, you know, the women need to stand up and this guy needs to go to jail and yada, yada. And I always, you know, would remind people when Corey Feldman came forward and told people about what was happening, you guys didn't want to believe him. And had people listened to Corey Feldman back then, then some of these abuses that were implemented by uh, Harvey Weinstein could have been prevented. And that's the thing. People didn't want to hear. That's why I say like this is not new, and it's it's just it's coming out more now. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And I really do believe, and I know this isn't an Epstein thing, but I really do believe part of the reason why some of these child actors. When they become adults, they end up having issues, whether it's drugs or, you know, alcohol abuse or crime or whatever. I really do believe they were probably abused in the industry when they were a kid. I really do believe that. 
Because I sometimes can follow you. Well, thank you, Eric. I'm going to go to Ruben. All right, Ruben, you are on the mic. Hello. Greetings. Hi, can y'all hear me? We can hear you. Okay, awesome. Good. Um, that that was pretty deep. Um, it is sad and scary, um, knowing that there are evil people out there. Um, but um, I don't. I know I'm gonna sound a little bit preachy, but I do have my faith. So I have to like there are moments where I have to where I check check back into my faith, and I'm like, all right, as long as as long as I look at Jesus and God and Virgin Mary, because I'm Catholic and not do idol worshiping, I'm good. Even though um, I haven't, I don't even know who no, like Noam Chomsky is personally. Um, it is like, I understand why people like are so sad and heartbroken because on, because you know, there are people in that list or just in general, knowing that like if someone that you follow turns out to be, like a pedophile or some sort of murder or like what have you we don't know their personal life it does it does strike their audience very you know it it does put that confusion you know like um like then who was i following you know and and then you Mm -hmm. question your own identity it's just like for me like i just don't like the whole like stan culture or like fandom like even like like i'm not gonna like say if if it's true but like even singers and actors and like you know how like like famous singers have their like groups like the beehive so any beyonce fans out like in here sorry no sorry but like i just don't understand the you know we have to follow a certain singer or a certain celebrity because you know, they speak, quote, the truth. And when we found shady shit, then we ourselves get to question our own identity. Like, why did I spend so many effing time, like, listening to your music or, or like, looking at your work and thinking that, like, you've had, you know, been consistent of, of, of like, X, Y, and Z. So at the end of the day, it's, like, maybe, because, um, like, I do study religion and, you know, and maybe since, like, since, we're getting a little bit more secular. Um, we're putting like religious type of insights to non-religious sectors or non or non-religious um, circles, and we put religion there because you know the the religious institutions like the Catholic Church, either mosque or synagogues. Yes, there are evil people there because of power and money, and we've seen corruption in churches. So I understand why people like leave religion but they want to have some form of religion outside of the concept of the institutional portion of religion and make for example celebrities their new god or goddess or queen or king because of a particular institution that did them wrong um Mm -hmm. and that that does hurt a lot of people and i understand that um and um however um since um i do um outside of this whole epstein thing um in the terms of like corruption and government being shady to their own people so i've been following Nord Stream because i am because i'm part german and it's still out there so um 
So an international type of update. Um, I, I called in on Aaron's call-in Sunday show. Um, and what I said is that there, there's going to be like, um, like a court hearing. Um, there's going to be a court hearing due to, a, due to a climate and protection foundation that is linked to Nord Stream. So um, basically, it's right now there's a scandal involving some taxes. And everyone is confused and people are pointing finger at one Senate leader. Her name is Manuela Shvesi. So what's going on is that there have been tax irregularities after the explosion of Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And the tax documents have U.S. and Russian fingerprints financially. What I was reading, mind you. The whole, the whole corporate West media are trying their best to suppress a lot of Nord Stream. So it, coverage of like anything about Nord Stream is so limited. But what I found is that there has been a tax document that showed irregularities. This tax document was brought up by Manola Shvesi and people in her own government, meaning Olaf Scholz and them, they're silencing her because they, they're, they're making her seem as a Russian puppet. However, she's coming at an angle saying, we all, we as Germans, we all come to, came to agreement that Angela Merkel and Putin agreed with Nord Stream. And, in the, and she brought up that Joe Biden also knew about the agreement. Everyone knows about the agreement. So she brought up some concerns about sanctions that the Biden administration was going to put last minute before the explosion. And now the questioning of the documents, the documents themselves are completely burned. There is no, like, the factual proof of evidence that they need to show corruption has been completely burned. And wow. now people, yeah, it's, it's getting that sad. So the original copies of the tax documents from the Climate and Protection Foundation that showed irregularities that had both U.S. and Russian quote-unquote fingerprints um, is nowhere to be seen because it's burned. And they're blaming Manola Shvesi as the main culprit of burning the tax documents, even though she keeps saying that, like, she keeps pushing that, um, she, she keeps pushing back because the whole rhetoric since Russiagate is still something very strong in Germany. She She's losing a lot of faith in that and it's very interesting because she she literally said in like comments that everyone knows like the german government and the western media i mean and and western leaders know that angela merkel and poon came to this agreement and that's about it however now the state government is retracting that angle and said since russia quote bombed Nord Stream, since you're talking to matthias warning matthias warning oversaw both both Nord Streams. So since they're like, since you're talking to Matthias Vonning, we can't trust both of you guys because you guys are friends. But she's saying that like, since everyone came to an agreement, we all knew that Matthias would oversee Nord Stream even before the explosion. So now they're using, they're going against their word and f framing her as a Russian puppet. Even though she's like, I'm supporting Angela Merkel. So what's going on? So at the moment, it's um it's all playing out in Makamo Fulpomans. 
the story is confusing as fuck, but all y'all need to know is that a tax document that had good evidence is no it's it's gone completely because someone burned it. The what's, the what's crazy though too is that I don't know if I told you guys this, but YouTube changed their their uh policies, like their guidelines. I got the notification yesterday um from YouTube and mm -hmm. I don't even know now if I'm going to be able to even talk about Nord Stream anymore. Um, I have to go through, I'm going to go through and read it with a fine tooth comb because it's a lot of information there, their policies and stuff like that. But YouTube has been through this update, they're really cracking down. And that's actually why, like, I haven't tried to invite on Seymour Hirsch because that is one of the, the controversial figures that they're really trying to silence like that article and the information. So even when I reported that article, I made mm -hmm. sure that I presented both sides just in case YouTube tried to say like, this is misinformation or something like that. But I'd imagine like going forward, like anybody listening, like I imagine if you have like a YouTube channel or even if you don't to encourage those that you do watch to go read the new YouTube policies, which was just implemented yesterday. So yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting as to what we how much we can say about like Nord Stream now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it really sucks, but at least we can talk about it on here. So this is good to know. Yes. Oh, OK, good. Because I was like, oh, like, hopefully it doesn't come to like call in because like um, I've been do I've been following Nord Stream and I was putting like I put up like Instagram reels about, you know, the coverage of Nord Stream and how everyone is suppressing it to where I myself, I'm coming very short, like I'm coming off very, very short because I don't even have that um, that much to say. If I go towards like the German speaking articles, they're all pro-West, obviously, and it, small independent and local newspapers don't give the right frame or the right critique. But the scandal right now that's going in Germany could be, um, so there's going to be a court a court hearing in Makomo Fulpomans. That could probably be more of an insight to whom burned the tax documents that has a, that has a good amount of evidence. So, um, yeah. So talk about like government really suppressing Nord Stream. Like they literally, like someone burned a tax document that is, that for some reason is like was high alert on their, on their watch or something. It's very sad. <laughs> Well, 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 that doesn't surprise me, though. That really doesn't surprise me. I think that, you know, I have to catch up on Grey Zone. Um, I, I go through, like, these periods where, like, I'll, like, watch one channel. I'll catch up on one channel one day and catch up on another channel another day. Um, but I have to get to, like, my Grey Zone day and I have to catch up um, on Grey mm -hmm. Zone because there's a number of, of videos you guys told me I need to I need to see. Um, yeah, um, I see someone in the chat saying our tax docs file somewhere. Yes, that was a concern that that she brought up. But when I said government is completely like censoring, the tax documents the original were burned and the copies are nowhere to be seen. So that's pretty much. So wait, wait, but the tax documents. So these are paper documents. Yes. But aren't tax tax documents? All, I mean, like. If I'm thinking like for me, like, isn't this information already filed through the IRS? Exactly. And this is where I'm trying to look at 
and it's not giving me a lot of answers. I'm right right now. I'm on Polish radio. They have their. I'm looking through what's going on at the moment, and it's not showing that like okay, you, then it's gonna be online, right? It doesn't show any information about like any tax documents online. So when I said like it's completely suppressed, it, it's like hence why there is this court hearing in Makamofopomans because they're like a tax document is burned, the copies are nowhere to be seen, and yet you know we're we still want to know where these two um twenty million euros have to go to because like twenty million euros is all is a lot when it comes to like missing money so they're that that's why they're having this court thing in uh, makamofo pullmans that is very concerning hmm oh man yes mm-hmm. okay, so it is it is a very scary scary world we live in at the moment and sabrina just in case you hadn't heard i saw a piece on democracy now where Cy Hirsch has come forward and said that he has inoperable pancreatic cancer. And so he is um, not retiring from public life, but he is spending more time with his family and friends and things like that. When did this come about, Noel? Um, I saw this piece maybe Monday or so. Oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amy Goodman did a piece and she was letting him, you know, speak freely about, you know, I guess in a way of kind of putting his life into a type of perspective in terms of his public service. And she was taking the opportunity to thank him for all that he has done for the advancement of the democracy and the culture. But yeah, he um, he supposedly has written a letter or article or something, but he has made it um, public. What are the odds that after he reports this information, he finds that out? Like it's, this is just, oh boy. This is crazy. I, I had no but idea. But you know, he's a fairly old man. And so, you know, he is still sharp um, intellectually, unlike, you know, that cardboard cutout we call the president. But he is content. Um, And I don't even think he um, is doing the chemotherapies or anything of that nature. So I think he has made his peace and he is content with the life that he has lived and to and talk about a life well lived. And so, you know, I just thought about that when you said, you know, you were thinking about or now that um, YouTube has put out its new policies, whether you could or could not have him on as a guest. Um, And that's what triggered me to think about that. Oh, dear. That is crazy. Yeah. So basically, they're trying to really suppress anything Nordish Room related, which is very sad. Oh, someone said in the chat, Noel, they said, Noel, are you sure you're not thinking about Daniel Ellsberg? He was just on Democracy Now! talking about having cancer. 
Maybe it was Daniel Ellsberg. That sounds more okay. like it. I stand corrected. Way, that's still sad. So he's the one that... Um, he did the Pentagon Papers. Right. That's right. right. That's still sad. Yeah, but yeah, I did get them confused as Daniel Ellsberg. You know, you get your whistleblowers all mixed up these days, girl. So. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dear. Okay, Ruben, anything else? And then I'm going to go to Crocodile. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and cut it short because, like, um, is, what a coincidence. Like, um, a car of um, two Navy officers just pulled up next to me. So I don't want to talk about it anymore. But, yeah. Oh, dear. Be careful. All right. Have a good one. All right. Let's bring in Crocodile. Greetings. How are you? There we go. Hello. Hi, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Is that a picture of Lindsay Lohan in jail? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, I was um, doing like a spree because I came from uh, Reddit talks, actually. And I was doing like a spree of people in jail's photos, like their mugshots. Um, this one is the most tame, trust me. So you... You don't want to see some of the other ones. Their eyes follow you wherever you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but I don't remember what that. Uh, I don't know much about the Nordstrom thing. I was calling in to talk about like the Epstein thing, to be honest. But um, I can't look at your profile picture. I'm going to look at Ashura's. <laughs> oh, is it bad? See, listen, you, you're fine. You're fine. She, she still looks lovable. Listen, it's the blonde that's throwing you off. It looks um, like she's staring at me. <laughs> she is into your soul just a little bit. She was, it was bad time in her life. But um, I don't know who said it, but uh, they said they weren't surprised. I am also not super surprised by everything that's been going on. Um. I am kind of overly sensitive to like things involving like abuse or like child abuse specifically because I was raised by someone who was a survivor of it. And so they taught me a lot of things like it was ingrained in them bringing me up to teach me like to stay away from a lot of stuff. So I grew up very sensitive to like seeing things like, oh, that's kind of off, like, eh. That, that might not be the right thing, but I was going to talk about how um, it's not, I. Uh-oh. Crocodile? Oh, no, they got you. What happened? Oh, no. It's always when someone's about to say something really important. I'm going to invite you to speak, um, Crocodile. So I, I invited you as a speaker. And then I know everyone in the chat is like, no. I'm like, well, she was just about to say something. So I'll I'll invite you to speak as a speaker. And then, you know, when you, you come back around, I'll just go ahead and go to you. Sure, I think you were next. Um, and then you dropped off. So Ashura, what's up? Hey, what's up, Sabrina? Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I saw your clip today about Noam Chomsky. I, I watched a bit of it. Aaron was talking about it. 
I was I, I was waiting for uh, what's his face to do a video about it, just rage about the Jimmy Dore show. Sam Cedar, apparently he doesn't know, and Kakalinski is like uh, the biggest Dom Chomsky fan. He's not talking about it. I went to um, the Vanguard. Someone, someone said he did talk about it. Kakalinski? Yeah, someone see, said he did. I don't see it on the clip. Because he would have basically put like uh, Noam Chomsky's face in it just to make sure he's talking about something. Uh, no, Ghost Unit said he did. I, I think he did. Let me see. Because I looked, I don't. I don't see it. Uh, Girl, I, I watched the show in a long time. Let me see. Do 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 do. No, he did talk about it. It looks like it posted yesterday. It What's says that? shock. Uh, Epstein linked to Noam Chomsky. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't think he would talk about it because most of these people, they, they keep quiet about everything. They don't talk about the war, the Nord Stream pipeline. They don't do shit. They do basically, they, they do just red blue games on that channel. Mm. That's sad. Yeah. Apparently, uh, the vanguards are coming for you. <laughs> They're coming for RBN. I, I checked their channel to see if they're going to talk about Noam Chomsky, and apparently they're they're coming for RBN. They call yeah. me, they call you revolutionary YouTubers. Yeah, I don't really. I haven't watched the Vanguard in a long time, so I don't really no. care. No, don't worry, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not like you're gonna you're gonna learn something from the Vanguard. You're not gonna learn anything. It's it's Jerry Springer over there. <laughs> Jerry Springer uh, as uh, what's his name? I think well, what's the other guy from uh, Do Distance? The one that's the older one. Uh, is it Russell? Russell. Russell. Yeah. R- Russell. Russell has a joke where he says he's the father of one of them because he probably knocked up the mother somewhere, someplace in the United States, and he can't tell which one of his is his son. What? <laughs> oh dear God! See, I don't get in any of this stuff. Like, I don't get involved in the. No, it, that, that was when uh, they tried to tr- they tried to trash them. But again, it's it's a vanguard. You you're not gonna trash do dissidents because they got they got fire. So they they clap back and they 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 humiliated them. Oh boy! Yeah, as for the Chomsky thing, I was like surprised. I'm like, why is Noam Chomsky? Going to a pedophile, unknown <laughs> pedophile, uh, a fucking rapist, and he said he didn't know. I'm like, what the fuck? No, he after- didn't know. It was it was after he was convicted. His quote in the Wall Street <laughs> Journal article was that he was convicted. He did his time. That was his quote. Yeah, because when Aaron was reading it, I was like, that's some bullshit response from Chomsky. It's just it. it <sighs> And this is not to say that people can't be rehabilitated, but the response was just... A pedophile? Rehabilitated? No, fuck no. It was cold. Was it, well, it, they also called Chomsky out in that same clip. Uh, Chomsky said that... Uh, no, it was Jimmy. They showed a tweet from Jimmy where Chomsky said, Medicare for all is like candy. Yeah, and I remember they, that. I mean, yeah, that's like Jimmy Dore said. I was done with Chomsky after that. That was when when Jimmy called him out. That's when Sam Cedar did a rebuttal video. Then he said people that weren't vaccinated need to be basically exiled onto a, a separate island. I know. I heard about lock lock him up or some shit. Put him in prison. I'm like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? 
well, now we know he was carrying water for the establishment too. Look, he may have done some pretty, I don't know, like radical things, like or people consider radical things in the past, but look at what has happened along the way. Like if he's still telling you to support Hillary Clinton or support Joe Biden or support the Democrat establishment because we might get someone on the right, then how radical are you really? I mean, was he really radical? I mean, he basically just told you what his handlers at the CIA were were doing. I mean, it's not really him being radical. He's just telling you what we do on the inside. And then he he writes it in a way to the point where it makes it, it makes you think that if he's telling you like hip shit, like he's he's basically uh telling you the truth, but really he's just he, he still wants to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean the whole uh what's the name of his book that people like to talk about? Uh manufacturing consent. Yeah. Well, he's manufacturing consent to get you back into the party. And the same thing with Bernie Sanders. It was the same yeah. thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. the Bernie Sanders one. Oh, what a meltdown it was on Twitter. Like, even Crystal Ball it was like, oh, my God, Bernie Sanders betrayed the left. Really? You just found that out? I'm sorry, but we called that shit, what, two years ago? Uh, uh, people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people called it out. And he was like, grow up. I mean, Nick did a video like, grow up, Crystal. <laughs> you didn't find that out? Oh, she just happened to be like a backstabber. Uh, it was like it, it was a it was like he was doing it one foot on uh, uh on the grass, the other foot is on the pavement. Yeah, I don't really like to get into like the I, I honestly like the whole personality thing. I rarely like venture down that lane because again, it's like like what I said earlier tonight. We can talk about the people, we can talk about the podcasters, we can talk about Joe Biden, we can talk about the problems that are happening with these people. But at the end of the day, if we don't, you know, like Eric was saying, if we don't bring the connection back to the root cause, which is the money, which is big money, then nothing will ever change. You can rotate those people out of those shows and put in other people, but you'll still have the same problem because if there's big money controlled somewhere along the way, you're still going to have some sort of, (laughs) no pun intended, but some sort of of manufactured consent. You are still going to have that in some way, shape, or form. Because that's the thing. This is something I learned from Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald was very clear about this. Even one of the things that he said, it was a mistake, looking back on it, to look towards like billionaires to invest in the intercept. Because then what did they try to do later on down the line? They tried to control the narrative and the message. That's why they wouldn't let him, they wouldn't let him publish the Hunter Biden laptop story. So that's the thing. If if big money interest is attached somewhere along the way, you will have a, a narrative that is more palatable by the status quo, the, the the elites, something that they can they can swallow, something they can take down. And I think that that's a big thing. Now, fortunately, more people are starting to wake up, and I think that's a good thing. But at the same time, it's like, it's a waste of my time to sit here and, and I used to do this. I used to argue about all these people. I used to complain about Hassan Piker. I used to complain about Vosh. I used to do, I used to do all that shit. If you look at my channel like a year ago, you'll see things have changed a lot. But I yeah. stopped doing that because I realized that like, that wasn't changing anything. That wasn't giving people a path towards any type of solutions. So that's 
that's kind of like my take on it. Like the personalities is just a distraction. Like these people have you distracted from a pathway to get some type of real type of change. So if you're focused on what so-and-so said and what so-and-so did, that's not going to lead you to any type of solutions. And that's why I feel like we are stuck. Well, that's the thing about those people. They said they have the idea. They have the vision. You just need to follow. Yeah, but again, you have options. You can choose to follow or not to follow. Oh, they don't. They, they don't want you not to follow. They want you to follow. That she said it quick in that video with Jordan Sheridan. Like she, they don't want to listen to what you have to say. It's what they have to say. They're the ones with the larger channels. Right. And I and I get that. And I totally get that. Listen, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> I've never met any of these people. I don't know these people. None of them pay my bills. These people are not a factor in my life. Like, that's that's the thing. But what I'm trying to get people to understand and to wake up to is that we can choose to focus on those things. But the problem is... When you focus on it too much, like what some say, like the Vanguard has done, eventually what will happen is that people will start to check out because you're not giving them, you're just telling them the negative. You're giving them the problem, but you're not giving them a solution or a path forward. So if every time you come on, you just talk about this person is bad because of this and this person is fucked up because of this, but you're not giving people any type of solution or another alternative path. It'll start to come off as depressing and people will start to check out. And I've seen this happen with other channels before. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is like, that's a distraction. That's not going to lead us to any type of significant change. I wish people spent more time talking about like workers strike back. I wish people spent more time talking about the billionaires, about the corruption with the money in this country, in the world. I wish people spent more time talking about that shit and a path forward instead of what so-and-so said. But they're not going to do that because that involves third party. And we both know none of those people with the big channels are for third parties. They want to put you back into the pen of the Democratic Party. A working class movement doesn't necessarily involve third parties. A working class movement could be similar to what Shama Sawan trying to do with Workers Strike Back. Working class movement is something that is started on the outside. You can bring in electoral politics later on and have candidates run from that working class movement like Socialist Alternative has done with Shama Sawan. But I think the problem is people seem to think that electoral politics is the only path forward. And it is not the only path forward. In fact, it should be second. The class movement building should be first. You have to build the movements from the grassroots organizations first. That's what Shama Sawant realized. That's why she decided not to run for reelection. That's why she just started to, decided to start Worker Strike Back. But the thing is, is the bigger channels, like focusing on what they're doing, that is not helping people who watch me change, change things for people in their community. That's not, that's not helping. Like, and that's something that I had to come to realize, you know, like it, it took a while for me. Like I've gotten, I've gotten, you know, criticism as well too, but I've also gotten like advice from people too. And the thing is, is like people want a path forward and eventually what will happen over time 
if you just complain about the personalities, but you're not giving people any other type of alternative solution, people will get depressed and they will check out because you'll just be known as doom and gloom. And I've, I've seen this kind of stuff before, so I'm sorry, but it's like, if I tell you guys the way through the Democratic Party, the progressive movement through the Democratic Party is a no-go for me. I don't think this works out anymore. Then the next thing should be, here's what we should do instead. And what I've been seeing happening a lot on YouTube, particularly, is there is no alternative path. A lot of people are complaining about the people. And there's a lot of complaints about like the podcasters and stuff too. And I have my issues with some of the things that they say too. But the thing is, what is the alternative? Because if you just complain and you don't give someone another path, people will start to check out. So mm-hmm. I may not agree with the, with the path that they choose with the progressives through the Democratic Party. I don't agree with that that strategy anymore. I did. I used to. But one thing I will say is they're giving people something to do. If you're not giving people something to do, people will start to check out. You can't just doom and gloom people. And even for me, I had to cut it out. Like, like I just told you, the reason why I don't watch Vanguard, I haven't watched Vanguard in months. The reason why is because it's depressing. It's depressing for me to hear people just talk about podcaster beefs all the time with people who used to be like close friends and all got like all gathered together to rally around Bernie Sanders because we felt that was the path forward. So it's depressing to see like all these podcasters who were all in community together to help get Bernie Sanders elected to all be at each other's throats. I don't want to see that every day. I don't want to see that every other day. I don't want to see it. You don't think the reason for that, these beasts that go around is because they don't want you siphoning off um, their viewers, well, their subscribers, because like you said, they you, you have to give people something to do. And if the only thing they're making people do is just hate watch videos and they're not going to tell them to go do something in their community, then they don't want you. They're going to bat mouth whoever's coming with the right message. But I- but again, but I, it's not I'm not paying attention to that. My like for I can only speak for particularly for my channel. My growth has not come from those types of videos. Yeah, my growth has come from talking about like stuff like Jeffrey Epstein or talking about like money or talking about the banking system, talking about corruption. My growth has not, my number one video, most popular video is about Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein, not about podcasters. Like my growth is not coming from that. It's coming from talking about, you know, the protests, talking about corruption, talking about the workers and things like that. And no, every video I make doesn't get a lot of views, but I think the difference is, is like, you have to, you can't just call out the problem. You have to call out the problem and provide some type of a solution. And so for me, I'm not worried about what other people are saying about me or my channel. You know, it's just fucking yesterday. Yesterday was May Day. So I'm on my way to the May Day event um, in Boston because I was I was live streaming that, going to live stream on RBN. So I'm like, okay, let me get there and all that kind of stuff. And it was just one after another, like 
all these different people reaching out to me like, did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see this? And it's just beef drama bullshit. And I'm honestly like, I'm on my way to a workers event. <laughs> and you're, you're contacting me about drama. What is more important? Drama on Twitter or solidarity with the workers? And that just blew my mind. It was like, I don't even stream on Mondays. That's not even my day to stream. And it just kind of blew my mind that like, here I am going to something that's actually important and beneficial. And the majority of people are focusing on drama on fucking Twitter. I'm not even on Twitter that often. I usually just post something and hop the fuck off. But it was very clear to me that some people are spending too much time on Twitter, on social media. And I don't think it's mentally healthy. I really don't. There's so much drama and beefs. It's like people just take breaks from fucking Twitter half the time and start start paying more attention to come up with some type of solutions that maybe we would have gotten something done in this country. But people want to spend more time talking about who's fighting with who and who's mad at who. I really don't give a fuck. I don't care who talks. I don't care if, if a podcaster is talking shit about me. I really don't give a fuck. Now, if you come after my family, that's another fucking thing. But if you want to just trash me, I really don't care. I have a life outside of YouTube. I have community outside of YouTube. I think some people spend too much fucking time online that they're just sucked into all this drama. And sometimes you guys feed into it. Like, I swear to God, like sometimes you guys, you know, it's really depressing sometimes when I see, particularly over at RBN, when I see like CJ did a stream yesterday, which everybody should watch about the Pendleton 2. Now, I'm seeing it was a little over 200 people watching this live at the normal time that CJ goes live. But it's like, it's like, then as soon as you talk about a podcaster, then it's like 600 people watching. And that is a damn shame because what's more important, what's happening with the podcaster or these, these two black men who are in prison? political prisoners and that's what it just it drives me fucking crazy this is why nothing gets done nothing go ahead Noel. what i was gonna say is what i learned long time ago even before i got to ohio um one of my teachers said big minds discuss ideas small minds discuss people and so within this online community space, you know, to do a podcast where you have stimulating discourse and you're providing information and helping people to reason out the world around them and shed light um, in the dark spaces where the major media is just manufacturing consent. That is work. And a lot of people are not capable or willing to do that work on a consistent basis. So in order to feed the beast, they do the lazy thing. They do the easy thing and critique each other. And so it's easy to just turn on one podcast and say, oh, she said this. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're going to eat her alive and create all of this. And there is a segment of the human condition 
that feeds on that type of infighting because it I think it gives people a feeling like, oh, I'm not the worst off or these people are worse off than me or, you know, or it's entertainment, which is the problem I had with the Jerry Springer era, this, that and a third. You exploit people's pain or you create a boxing ring and people get entertained. And the bigger purpose for the um online community, which is the sharing of information and ideas gets lost and swept away. And like you say, people um, are focusing in on stuff that's really irrelevant. I see, you know, the call in and I see your podcast as an opportunity to share ideas and help people critically assess what they are digesting on a daily basis to equip them to better understand the world around them and to be able to discern fact from fiction and what is likely from what is unlikely. And I think we as a culture spend far too little time contemplating these types of things and people, you know, evolve or erode into the easy stuff, the cheap stuff, the throwing of chairs, the street fights and this and that. And it's that's just so small and cheap. And I applaud you for moving in a different direction and attempting to take the high road. Now, if there are philosophical differences that merit a discourse, that's a different thing. But when it's just trying to bash people and this and that, that is so tiring to me. And 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 I tend not to gravitate to those types of things. And I did catch the Pendleton too. Um, that Nick and CJ did yesterday, and it was just jarring that, you know, you know, I constantly talk about United States as a plantation nation, but nothing makes the point more than when you look at the um, carceral state in this country and what they are doing to people yet and still. And and it's just like these things are begging for attention. But even if you your life doesn't afford you the opportunity to do things, you need to be able to know these things. Because here's my thing. We may not be able as a collective, as a culture to arrest what is happening in this nation. We don't know if we'll be able to pull things back from what's going on in the climate or the political arena or, you know, the military industrial complex or what all of these factors that are closing in on our reality. But to my thinking, it is an important thing that you be able to understand it so that you recognize what's going on and to whatever degree, be prepared for what tomorrow might bring in the short term and long term, because nothing beats knowing what's going on in your reality and, and not feeling just lost in a sea of confusion. You should be able and you have to do what it takes to reason your way through and discern the bad faith actors and reason things out so that you are not caught up in what's going on in this society in a way that's not been Yeah. Well said, Noel. I mean, like some of the things I talk about are not popular. Like, you know, I mean, the ballot initiative clips are not as popular. 
but that doesn't prevent me from talking about it. Somebody wants to receive that information somewhere. And I think what we need to be careful about, particularly those of us that consider ourselves to be on the left, is not to get sucked into the left podcast or drama because I was guilty of it too. Like I got sucked into that stuff and it was getting me views like last year. But what I started to notice is like even my own audience would email me and say, Sabrina, you can do better than this. And they were right. I can. And the thing is, is like that stuff is easy to do. But is it solving anything? Is it is it providing any type of solutions? Like we all know what the problems are by now. But now it's like you have to take a further step. You can't just tell people the problem. You have to tell people some type of pathway, some type of solution. And so the thing is, is like. I don't really care about that stuff. But go ahead, Ashura. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the um, RFK thing. You mentioned that uh, that might be trouble for Joe Biden because he's skipping North Carolina. Uh, I mean, he's skipping. Uh, what, what was that uh, state you said he was skipping? I forgot what it's called. Uh, he was skipping for um, South North Carolina, I believe. He's skipping New Hampshire and yeah, Iowa. New Hampshire. Yeah, New Hampshire and Iowa. So they're going to have their debates regardless. So it's going to be Marianne and versus RFK? There are no debates. Okay, because I, I thought you said like they're going to have the debates between those two, regardless what Joe Biden says. They, they said that they're still going to be first, regardless okay. of what Joe Biden says, which would exclude him basically okay. from their ballot unless they want to pay the fine unless dnc wants to pay the fine but the thing is is that i mean you know that's the democratic party's fault apparently so, new hampshire and, and, and iowa weren't willing to uh just fall back quietly <laughs> yeah because i was wondering uh is that going to be a problem for the state or a problem for the De democratic party because it seems like i i thought i assume that the democratic party controls controls basically the has control over there uh they can pay a fine if they want to but it sounds like they're okay with doing that because i mean like new hampshire politically can be a mixed bag and it's different than massachusetts massachusetts is going to be blue like regardless right even though we have red pockets here it's going to be blue because boston is blue and worcester is blue and springfield is blue and those are the three largest cities in massachusetts and so but with New Hampshire, it's a little bit different. I mean, like there are libertarian, you know, voters in New Hampshire. There is, there are Republicans in New Hampshire. There are also Democrats in New Hampshire, but they don't tend to just go with someone just because like they, they look at what's been done and if their lives have improved, like they tend to do something that um, I feel like some of us just don't do that. We just go along with partisan politics. But like I said, New Hampshire is a mixed bag. So they're probably not too happy with the Democratic Party right now, considering that they made this move. So what's the reason for him doing that? Is it because um, they might expose him as if they don't like him as much? No, it's because he made they made South Carolina the first state, the first primary voting state. No, no, no. no I, I know that part. You said that uh, you did a segment about it. I'm just saying. The reason he did that because he wanted to get a jump first. So why not start with the first state that starts the the primaries instead of jumping all all the way to South Carolina? Is it because they they're going to they're going to expose him? The first no, because South Carolina is the state that helped him win. 
That's why they changed it. The DNC is saying it's because they want to start with a state that's more diverse. That's bullshit. Georgia's more diverse than South Carolina is. So if that was the case, they would start with Georgia, not South Carolina. They're starting with South Carolina first is because that is the state that changed the game for Joe Biden in the presidential election in 2020. So they know if they're like, we start with South Carolina, obviously Joe Biden is going to come out on top. And then that will impact the, uh, the voters in the other states to go ahead and support Joe Biden. But what they didn't stop and think about is the fact that Iowa and New Hampshire could still they still decided, no, we're going to run it like we usually do. And that just means that Joe Biden won't be on the on the ballot. Yeah, because uh, Mastermind Iowa just uh, said a comment because they hate him. Iowa hates him. So that was that was my question. Is it because they don't like him that much that they, they're probably going to expose the fact that he hasn't done anything and his numbers are going to be so fucking low that that might even break the the, the egg that I, the, <laughs> the media. I'm sure, has I think saying. I think what the real issue is is South Carolina in the Democratic primary has more delegates than either New Hampshire and Iowa, and if you recall from the last cycle. Biden was trailing um, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg and the other people. And he was in like third and fourth place in those early primaries. But when he got to South Carolina, which is where Jim Clyburn hails from, it was a reliable state for him. So if you put South Carolina first and Jim Clyburn endorses him, if he wins that primary, and he likely is based on the historical way that state votes, um, then it doesn't matter when New Hampshire or Iowa rolls in because he will have gotten enough delegates out of South Carolina that he will be in the lead even if he loses um, Iowa and New Hampshire. So they rolled a big state with a lot of delegates up front. And it has a, and in the Democratic primary in South Carolina, the black vote is important in the primary. It's not as important in the general, but in the primary, it is important. And the black vote is a huge part of it. So it was all a mathematical thing to ensure that the incumbent president leads in the primary from the very beginning, instead of having to come out of Iowa or New Hampshire and be trailing from those small states and they just used the diversity issue as a cover for what they were really doing. But we all see through it. It's about the numbers and the fact that it's Clyburn and black people and yada, yada. And um, what, what happens if, can Marianne or basically RFK go into those states, get the code. They run there if they want to, because people are trying to tell them don't, don't run in there because Biden is the president. You shouldn't, you shouldn't primary the president. They've already they've already said, according to that article, that they are going to run in those states. They're just going to pay the fine. Okay. Yep. Uh, I <laughs> Which I don't blame them. They can probably do pretty well in those states. They can probably do pretty well in New Hampshire and and Iowa. Like I said, New Hampshire's a mixed bag. You know, they are more concerned with like civil liberties. I'll tell you that much. And RFK Jr. is kind of big on that thing, so. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> this is, I'm just telling you guys, 2024 is going to be wild. Yeah. And I'll end with um, the video that shoot on France uh, about the protests. And then couple that with the video of those two guys from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I saw the clip and then I, I, I saw the big Mad Kratz clip right afterwards. And I was like, wait, 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 are they twins from the original video? Cause I thought I saw big Mad Crab, but he, he must have did some kind of edit and I thought he had a twin and then he was flexing in the back. <laughs> that, that shit was funny. Cause, uh, you, you can tell when these people are saying promoting Joe Biden on Twitter, it's so fucking fake. The enthusiasm, enthusiasm is fake. The whole Biden, the whole uh, slew of good things Biden did, uh, has done is fake. I'm like, wh- where the fuck are you getting your 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 info that Biden has done so many things? I mean, it's not just those two. There was a, I think there was another girl from Instagram, TikTok. I mean, he's basically getting everybody from the younger generation to go out there and vote for him. I don't think they're gonna come out for him this time. Trump might win if Trump doesn't fuck it up. Or DeSantis. Especially with the student loan debt um, cancellation not coming through. Yeah, that that too. Yeah, a lot of people not happy about that. I want to bring in Crocodile. Can you can you try again? I know you got cut off. Just You just got to um, unmute. So I'm, I'm going to hang up now. All right, thanks, Ashura. Crocodile's back. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what y'all heard from me. I don't know what was the last thing you heard. You probably don't remember. It's been a while. Um. You said that you were raised by someone who had been through that. Oh, yeah. So I was um, I was raised by a survivor of, like, childhood abuse. Um, so basically, they just were very not careful. They were – they made sure – to, to to put that stranger danger like um view in my head um so i was just always very cautious of people um and i'm not gonna lie it, it was helpful it did help me avoid some pedophiles <laughs> if i'm being honest um but what was I going to say? Or what was I going to say? Oh, I was just saying, like, I don't remember the guy who was in here. I'm not surprised about any of this happening, to be quite honest. Um, I don't feel like people are saying, like, oh, it's a, it's kind of been buried by the media. Um, but I don't I don't really think it's if it's been buried, it hasn't been buried very deep. I feel like America has always shown its propensity to abuse um, children, if that makes sense. And I think that can be shown by the fact that, um, child marriage is still legal in the USA, even though we try and talk about third world countries all the time. Oh, we gotta go stop the third world countries are marrying off children. It's legal to marry children in the US. Um, some states, oh, yeah, you don't know. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, um, it's uh in a lot of states and people have been trying now to like figure out how to stop that. But um, child marriage in most states is legal as long as you have the parents consent. You can marry a baby in some states. There's no limit, um, <laughs> even though the legal age of consent uh, for sexual contact will be 16. You can marry a literal baby off in some states in the USA. Um, that That's what I mean. <laughs> That's why a lot of cults um, migrate to certain states because they can marry their children off in that that way. Is to be like a presence or a significant presence of cults in states like Colorado and Texas? Yes. Hmm. That's that's exactly why, because the laws benefit them. 
Um, and then I was just going to talk about the fact that, uh, hmm. oh, so like, I just feel like even media kind of shows you America's feelings because people like to talk about, oh, let's go back to the times when things were good and it was all super safe. And I'm just like, I watched that Brooke Shields documentary and I've seen some other things just in general where, you know, they talked about pretty baby. She was just a little kid, um, playing a, uh, what's a good word? I don't know what you can say on this app. Like how, how <laughs> do I need to censor myself? Or they're more, they're more lenient here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, she played the, the child of someone in a whorehouse. And basically a grown man takes her on. It pays for her, not just for just friend friendly things. Um, and there was a market for that. People want to see that. Like people up front were like, oh no, that's terrible. Don't do that. But behind closed doors, there was a market for that. People were watching that. When people when they put her on Playboy as a I think a nine or ten year old, people were buying that. Um Wait, um, what? I'm sorry, yeah. back up. We're talking about Brooke Shields? Yes, as a baby, a literal child. They put her on Playboy. What? Oh, my God. Jesus. So, did so Brooke We Shields have a history. Brought- America has this history. And like, the, like I was saying, the laws that you see still established today show you exactly what the agenda was for that. It's not to protect children, like, uh, and it's not hidden very well either. That's why I'm not surprised by any of the things that are going on in Hollywood. And people will talk about it as past tense. It's not even past tense. Um, Britney Spears is more recent, but um, when they put her like sexually on a cover, I think she was like 12 or 13. Um, I watched Ariana Grande as a child on Nickelodeon and they had her like do a scene in like the shorts of the show. Um, so not the main show, but like a, a off uh, thing from it, like a segment. And it was literally, it, I watch porn now. Um, it, it literally was like a porn shot, basically uh, the thing what she was doing hell? in it. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something in reference to Britney Spears. You know, what was sad about Britney Spears is that her mom signed off on all of that shit. Mm-hmm. Britney Spears has been more vocal in recent years about her experiences uh, in the entertainment uh, industry. And she's been vocal about, I'm sure you guys know, like she's been pretty vocal against like her parents, like how they handled some of these situations. But uh, her mom signed off on all that shit. And I'm just thinking to myself, like you as a woman, as another female, like how could you be okay with that? Some people will sell their the money. own children. Um, I think a lot of parents get Yeah, exactly. A lot of people will actually, a lot of people, especially in Hollywood, sold their kids out. Um, <laughs> I think that's seen pretty clearly as they turn into adults and then talk about it. And it's like that most of them got sold out. I'm worried about, you know, like, uh, I haven't watched the Brooke Shields documentary on Hulu. I saw it come up on the homepage and I've been meaning to check it out. But um, not even just her, but I heard about some of the kids that were part of Mickey Mouse Club. uh, Some of the things that like they went through, like, you know, these kids, a lot of these child actors and stuff like that, they're basically treated like adults for the most sake, especially if they don't have parents that are grounded and parents that won't spend all their money. Because that's happened with some of the childlike actors as well. And I remember mm-hmm. I saw an interview 
with uh, Tatiana Ali. Now, she was actually on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, for those of you who don't know. And Tatiana Ali said, this was not too long ago, but she said that the reason why they were like, how come you didn't turn out like the other child actors when you became an adult? Like, how come you weren't, you know, addicted to drugs or anything like that? And she said, because my parents always treated me the same even after I became famous. So she said, mm-hmm. like, she still had chores. She still had, you know, obviously to do her homework. She was not independent. She still had rules. And she said that her parents were very much involved in the process. And so after, like, Fresh Prince, like, she she chose to go to college. Like, you know, she went to college and then was like, okay, I'll take on more, like, acting roles or whatever. But she said, like, she had parents that kept her grounded. And she said, unfortunately, not everyone has that. And Raven mm-hmm. Simone, she was another one that came out and said that, speaking of Lindsay Lohan, your profile picture, Raven <laughs> Simone said that uh, her and Lindsay Lohan were like good friends, like when when they were younger and they were growing up. And she said, but again, like Raven Simone said her parents would not let her do the things that Lindsay Lohan was allowed to do. So like Raven Simone wasn't going to clubs and stuff when she was underage, whereas Lindsay Lohan was. You also have to take a look at... Uh her there was like a little bit of a rocky um childhood because um you know her dad was was you know not abusive but he was very uh, raucous so to speak you know showing up at family events uh knocking one of the relatives out with a with a shoe or whatever the case was so there was a lot of family turmoil in there as well that Long Island in him came out, <laughs> Roger. We don't speak like that. Oh, come Long. on, Roger. Have you, I've never heard anyone say Long Island. <laughs> that I'm, I'm telling you that Long that Long Island that that Long Island attitude came out in him. He wasn't ready. They weren't ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, but. As far as Brooke Shields, I didn't know about this documentary. Um, I mean, Brooke Shields is older than me. I just remember when we was like uh, kids, we were like, "Ooh, did you watch the Blue Lagoon?" You know, it was this—it was this movie with with uh, Brooke Shields or whatever the case was, and everyone, or you know, all of us is just like, "Oh, Brooke Shields was naked," or whatever the case. But we were we are younger than Brooke Shields, so we can say that. But um. You know, uh, 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 wasn't she yeah. like a teenager? Wasn't she like fourteen in that movie? I thought it was sixteen, but or sixteen. I think she was sixteen. But go ahead, crocodile. Sorry. Uh oh. All right, let's bring in Jenny. Jenny, I know you've been waiting for a bit. What's up, Jenny? Just got to unmute. Hey, Sabby. Hey, how are you? Great show tonight. And uh, I really appreciated Noelle's uh, little monologue just now where she talked about talking about important things rather than talking about people, because I think we do spend too much time gossiping and we need to spend more time talking about solutions. And so I appreciated that very much. Um, I've been watching the Epstein story really closely, and I have been for several years because I was part of the old Pizzagate group that was doing the investigations around the things that were dropped from the DNC emails from WikiLeaks. And there was a whole lot about Jeffrey Epstein in there. And then I'm a, I'm a Q person, you know, and I, I, Q 
people, everybody's been taught to hate us, the people who followed the QAnon drops, but there was so much information about Epstein in the Q drops. And so when he was arrested, uh, a mighty cheer went up all over the internet for those of us who had been following that side of the story. And um, to watch him, you know, be held accountable and then Ghislaine held accountable and then Keith Raniere of Nexium held accountable. All these people have been arrested. These are these are moves that are big, hellacious moves that are pointing towards helping to expose, but also potentially free or protect future victims. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about trying to help prevent future situations. And I loved what, um, what's her name, Croc Crocodile just talked about in terms of um, our Hollywood and Honestly, I think it's worse in the music industry that the musicians are um, predictively programmed from the time they're little to and Kanye's talked very openly about this, that he was he was being compelled to be a well-behaved celebrity or else. And that if he did not do what his handlers said, they were going to drug him and make it impossible for him to see his children. Who does that? Who assumes that kind of authority over anyone, but especially a celebrity like Kanye? So um, these things are happening. They're real. And I just see everything coming out. The Wall Street Journal article is fabulous um, as just being, you know, kind of baby steps towards all of it being shut down, which that that should be the goal. It's just crazy too. like. Um, so you're saying there was information about Jeffrey Epstein in in the QAnon files? Oh, there was plenty about Epstein, Ghislaine. Um, what they actually did with the island. Um, you know, Q was sent out as kind of like intel, like um, in code. They would. It's hard to follow because you, you start reading the drops and you're like, what are they talking about? So there is kind of a learning curve to understand that there's a code and you need to kind of crack the code before you understand what they're talking about. So people just kind of poo-poo it and say, oh, it's all crazy. But once you realize the themes and what they're talking about, um, it, it became kind of fond, you know, it's kind of like, um, doing a crossword puzzle as a group effort, you know, that we were crowdsourcing the data, um, people who asked questions about certain drops, the Anons would come back and they called it a Socratic back and forth using the Socratic method. We'd ask a question and then Q would come back and say, no, you're getting close, but he'd point to an article or a tweet or something on YouTube and say, go look at this. And then, you know, kind of teach us what was going on. And so because I followed them in real time, starting in 2018, this has been years for me that I've kind of followed. And then here we are. Some of the Q drops talked about uh, Joe Biden's brother owning an island right next to little St. James. That is true. He sold an island. What was Joe Biden's brother doing on that island? what was going on. It was right next to Epstein's Island. And so these, these are part of the, the data drops that I saw years ago. And now we have this stuff coming out in the media about who, what, where, when, and it's very exciting. You know, I, we got to shut it down. All this extortion and control of our celebrities and our artists and business people and sports figures, you know, we need to shut it down. This is not a free society. It's utter insanity. Well said. They're whispering in Crocodile. I saw you on mute. What would you like to add to this? 
This is all very interesting. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, and when you guys are talking about solutions and things, I'm going to, I, I feel very nihilistic about this specific subject. It seems so ingrained and people never want to talk about how rampant it is, even in just like your regular everyday community, the amount of people I know, um, who have talked about their experiences, unfortunately being abused and then just having it be covered up. It, it just, it seems like even it's behind closed doors, normalized, if that makes sense. But up front, they're like, Oh no, yes, it's so wrong. It is. It's just like a veil, like a thin veil everybody puts up. Uh, I can't, I hate it. Um, and I think, well, I don't know what was I going for a second. Well, I was going to say, but then that all goes back to the money though, right? That all goes back to big money again, where the reason why, like um, what Jenny was referring to, the reason why they're able to get away with these types of crimes is because they're all well-connected and they're all a part of big money. And and that's the thing is like they feel like they can't be touched in any way, shape, or form because of that. True, but at the same time, it's also just like your regular everyday people. Like those were the ones who were who's oh those were the ones who were buying the Brook Shields at nine years old on um, Playboy magazine. Um, even like your re- your so I don't know if you also know about like the they're not broke, but like they're not. Jeffrey Epstein either. They're your lawyers, your doctors who will fly over to third world countries <clears throat> for the weekend um, to abuse children there because they have houses for that, unfortunately. Um, and then come back home to their families, you know, like everything's chill and that's a regular thing for them because they have a little bit of money. Um, but that's just a regular guy or the people honestly who buy like only fans of people who are what was her name the the cash me outside girl with the attitude um <laughs> she <laughs> when she went on only fans at as soon as she turned 18 she went on only fans she made four million dollars from these fucking creeps <laughs> wow. or the sites that do the um the countdown till she's 18 they did that for millie bobby brown they do it for all the all little young girls what, what like that shows what kind of com- what type of environment this really is like that there's such a large market and there is money in it um it's disgusting <laughs> and i don't know where to fix it like i don't know how to fix something that rampant well i think it goes back to what you talked about earlier with whoever raised you you said they educated you and protected you as a child and that's where a lot of my writing and Uh, content creation revolves around is how can we create a model for family life that absolutely makes it impossible for a child to be molested that's the number one goal for me I have grandchildren coming now and I'm always thinking about what what can we do to make things safer for them we need to look at the laws some of the laws need to be changed they're definitely lean towards covering for pedophilia so that's an area where we could put some energy but we also need to educate young parents about things they can do to protect their little ones from all these predators. And if we could come up with a generation of kids 
who have not been bullied or molested or assaulted in this way, that's where we move towards a type of society that is whole and happy and and free, not encumbered by all their addictions and all of the trauma. I hear you. Another Jenny. thing I was going to talk about, because I forgot for a second, I because I was talking about laws that in, I feel like honestly encourage the abuse. Um, we already talked about how we don't really have in some states even uh, an age that <laughs> um, for marriage of children. Uh, the other thing I talk about uh, how rape is uh, not prosecuted properly. I feel like that connects to it as well because it's a lot of younger people who never get um, any justice or if they do, their person is sentenced for, oh, you're sentenced for five years or two years or they get out on good behavior or they never go at all. Um, the, the rules were so lax for so many years. It's gotten slightly better, but I think that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, part of the problem is people will actually get more time for marijuana than they will for like sexual abuse or something like that. It's it's really disgusting. And part of the problem is because our law system doesn't see that as a violent crime. But well, neither I, is marijuana. I watched, a, I watched a video today, Jim Acosta, who was down in Florida when Epstein was being prosecuted for the first series of, of rapes. And he said, we were told to kind of back away and, you know, not pressure him too hard. And so he got a slap on the wrist. But even though he was convicted, it was like a joke. You know, I think we need to have the death penalty. You rape a child, you do it at the risk of losing your own life. That would send a message to these pedophiles. And anything less than that, you know. They just feel like they can get away with anything. And so they live their lives just, you know, so sick. The only, the only problem with, with that is you got people in prison who did not do what they're in prison for. That's that's my main issue with the death penalty. I mean, we've seen what happened with uh, the exonerated five that used to be called um, Central Park Five. You know, when they were, you know, five black men who were convicted of, of raping a white woman in Central Park and Donald Trump back then was told, calling for the death penalty for them. And Elena came out, it was another guy. And even after he had admitted it, they still wouldn't let them out. So That's I would just say, yeah, That's I would just say prison for life. Well, I'm, I'm totally down with millstones. That's what Jesus suggested. Let's get some millstones and throw them into the sea. I, okay, I, that's still feel, <laughs> I feel so strongly about this because we have to do better. I think it, it would behoove us, though, as a society to really examine who we are as a society and where these behaviors come from. I mean, when you examine the fact that this is a patriarchal society, it is a white supremacist society, and the behaviors that are policed the least are those crimes that are the biggest predisposition for white men. We've had that same issue with drunk driving. We have it with the child molestation. And so we, I don't think we can really be honest until we accept to ourselves that white men have been in the seats of power in this nation from the beginning which included slavery, which included 
child molestation within the context of slavery, then we find it, oh, guess what? We find it in the Catholic church, which is dominated by white men. So I'm not saying white men are more evil, but what I'm saying is they have had a larger disproportionate access to power. And so when they have committed crimes, they have been unwilling or unable to police themselves. When you say Jeffrey Epstein was convicted or being tried in the first time and people were saying, oh, go light this and that, these were white people. And so we have a history in this nation of not reckoning with what has been really going on. You know, we just had Carol Dunham to die and she was the cause of Emmett Till's death. And, and we never as a society reckoned with it. So when you look across this whole society, like I say, we've been living a bunch of lies and you, we have a history of lynching in this country and lynching is still on the books as okay in some of these places. So it's not just when I hear, you know, we get enraged about the child molestation and rape, and I agree, but I'm saying that's just one in a long list of things that have been perpetrated against people and, and people have not been able to defend themselves. And so my thing is when you turn a blind eye to certain criminality, you become complicit. And I think we all need to take a hard look at ourselves and what this society promotes across the board. Because as Roger just suggested, when we go to the extreme in punishment in a society that is not equal, we're going to have people serving disproportionate sentences for crimes, just like the cocaine versus crack thing. So, you know, it's a harsh crime, but I think I always err in terms of let's get real justice. Let's make sure that the justice system is working, you know, and if the system was working, we wouldn't have to go to more extreme laws because the laws on the books would, you know, we wouldn't even need them necessarily if we had people behaving in accordance to what we believe this society's values are, but that's just not been the case and it never has been. So this is not something that's going to be solved by the laws. This is in the hearts of men. And this deals with the, the power and the abuse of power. And until we're able to look at and build some accountability around the people who have power, we're going to continue to see these types of abuses. Mm. Yeah, and that, again, it, it goes back to the people who have the money and the resources and the people, like Noah was saying, the people that have the power, the people that have the money and the resources. Yeah, when I called the police one time to report a molestation crime with some children that I knew, um, it sent such a chill over those people. It, it was palpable. And they immediately threatened to sue me. And, you know, how ironic that these pedophiles think they can come sue a whistleblower, but this, the, the pedophile did end up going to jail. And I had a friend who had been molested by her grandfather, and she told me, you know, I can't even comprehend that level of accountability with my own perpetrators. 
And yet that is the step that truly needs to be taken by any victim. If this happens to you or you know about it, you have to be willing to report it. And so I hope everybody will just try to think of ways we can protect the little ones because because that's our future. So thanks a lot for letting me participate, Savvy. I can see you got a lot more people here. Thanks so much, Jenny. Sabrina, did you see the um, did you see the news about Sandra Day O'Connor? No, I haven't. What's up? So she pretty much in so many words admitted that uh, for being um, partisan in deciding the election for Bush in 2000. Well, I guess that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I put it in the I put it in the link um, earlier. Um, I, I guess I put it again. But um, also, speaking of like what they was talking about before, um, you know about the um, the what do you call it the the plan? Well, it was it actually it was a plan that was a success. But did I ever tell you? I think we talked about it before about the plan that had the CIA infiltrate the uh, the hip-hop community? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, pre- pretty much it was, in case anybody doesn't know whatever the case was, in the late, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, this guy was talking about, uh, you know, he hides his voice on, um, you know, one of those voice disruptors or whatever the case was, but he worked for a record company and he came out with it, like, later on or whatever the case was and he was talking about how he went to one of those uh eyes wide shut type of mansions if you ever saw that movie with nicole kidman and and uh, what's his name tom cruise or whatever the case was and they had to sign something that said you can't speak about what we're going to speak about um or else you know it's it's not going to it's not going to turn out well for you or whatever the case was so there was a guy who was there was a guy who was speaking about private prisons, okay, and talking about investing and so on and so forth. And there were some people over there who, you know, who was just, they, you know, he didn't know what they were. He didn't know what their purpose was, but they was just standing silently or whatever. And the guy was talking about, um, he was like some type of early investor in Core Civic or whatever. They would turn out to be private prisons. Now, remember, this is the early 90s. Okay. Uh, and he was, and um, he was like, okay, well, what does that got to do with us? And he told them, we want you to start turning these rappers away from talking about things that public enemy and KRS one were talking about was like KRS one would always talk about like Afrocentrism and black history and so on and so forth in his, in his music and public enemy was more of a sixties revolutionary H rap Brown, uh, uh, Bobby Seals, uh, um, Stokely Carmichael, uh, and you know Elders Cleaver and, and and Fred Hampton and so on and so forth. And they say, yeah, we want you to turn, you know, like tell the rappers, at least the ones that are up and coming, to talk more criminality stuff. You know, talk more. You know, they didn't have they didn't have the word gangster rap yet. You feel what I'm saying? And right. one of the guys was just like. Hey, this is ridiculous. How are you going to do this? How are you going to tell me I don't run my company? And then those those guys who were standing silent rushed him out of there. 
And then when they went to go help him, one of them like showed, you know, uh, uh, showed a gun. Like he didn't unholster the gun, but one of the people like, you know, showed a gun to him. Like, uh, you don't, you don't want to mess with this. You feel what I'm saying? So he was just talking about throughout the years, throughout the nineties, how he was seeing how, where hip hop went to, you know, how it ended up being, you know, doing, uh, uh, selling drugs, doing violence, killing all that different type of stuff, misogyny, all of that. He said he would see the other record producers at these parties and they would just have that nonverbal eye contact. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and then you got to look at what was happening. That was the early nineties when Clinton was coming in to office. When uh, Joe Biden first tried to pass his crime bill, actually he tried to pass it during, during in the eighties and, and Reagan was just like, what the hell is this? I'm not, I'm not signing this thing. You know, because he saw it more as the expensive government resources. And uh, if you remember, you know, during that early 90s, Joe Biden's crime bill didn't pass the first time. It passed the second time once right. they put it together with uh, the Violence Against Women's Act, which is why Bernie Sanders voted for it in 94. So when you take a look at it, it kind of all lines up because it, it, back then, in the, in the 80s, hip-hop was independent record companies. It wasn't making money. It was all in, underground. People weren't talking about shooting, killing, murdering. Uh, women weren't referred as, to as the Bs and the Hs. They was referred to as the ladies, the ladies. Or the old ladies in the house say, oh, you know, ah, whatever the case is, right? And then you got to, you know, like, come, and when, once they saw it was a moneymaker, that's when the corporate record companies started getting involved. And that's when the uh, what do you call it the um, the 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 private prisons was just like hey maybe we could do something with this you know because you have to remember they used to take uh, these private prisons used to go to um, black areas when you know these black kids was in the fourth grade and look at how they were doing on like test scores and how they were you know like. Like, yeah, this person, this kid's not doing well in school, so we can invest. Okay, so when he gets like around the teenage and 10 years, 20 years or whatever, we can make money off of him by making sure these laws and, you know, like make sure that he'll probably be one of the people in prison. So we're going to try to steer him in that direction instead of steering him toward, you know, a, a better life or whatever the case is. So it kind of coincides with what the you know what everyone was talking about the uh, pedophile stuff but it's a different type of conspiracy pretty much that's interesting let's bring in author author you're on the mic you just gotta unmute just gotta hit that unmute button there you go what's up hey savvy can you hear me i can hear you loud and clear cool uh love you love the show love rbn uh great to great to finally talk, talk to you. Um, the whole Epstein thing, like a few callers have been saying, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I think what we've heard about, and maybe this is just the cynic in me, what we've heard about the, with Epstein in terms of his shenanigans and just Jane Maxwell and that, that whole, that whole thing. I think that's the tip of the iceberg. Um, in terms of what powerful people do behind the scenes and, 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 and their darkness that is going on. 
And, and as this conversation has been flowing, I was thinking back to the lady who just was let go from ABC because she was having an affair. Uh, she used to host Good Morning America. I think her name is Amy Robach or whatever. I remember that video that came out where she was, um, she was complaining that in 2015, she had an interview with some woman who implicated Epstein and, and Prince William in, 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 in child sexual abuse. And she was working for ABC at the time, of course, and ABC wouldn't go, wouldn't air the interview. And when the Epstein thing finally came out, she was upset because, you know, she felt like she had scooped the story in, in before everybody, but, but her handlers at ABC didn't, um, didn't choose to air it. So go, go figure that. It's, it's just, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was one of those project Veritas, you know, videos that they got from somebody and, and, and released it. And she was just going off saying, I had the story and I had it. I had the story. I had the interview. It's on tape, but essentially the higher ups at ABC, whoever that was at the time, they, they elected not to, not to air it. So it just makes you wonder why, why they would, they wouldn't do it. And it's because powerful people, would have been implicated and powerful people have a way of influencing their media arm to not cover stories that are, <laughs> that are favorable to them. This is true because some of these, these companies are shareholders of these networks like BlackRock, Vanguard and state street, they're shareholders for a lot of these networks. So that's a big part of the problem is that you do have very, like you said, very powerful people that are really calling the shots and the commentators and the reporters on these networks. They're just there just to read a teleprompter for the most part. Yeah. I remember that. What, what office talking about. Savvy, you probably knew about it, but you know, like you probably forgot, but I remember what, what he's talking about. Cause this is the woman that wasn't this, the woman that um she was having an affair. She was caught out. Wasn't it the guy, one of her coworkers? Yeah, it was her, it was her co-host. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Told you. I know. Yep. So that, that, that was definitely a, that was definitely a thing. And, um, and just in general, I'm, I'm always prepared to be disappointed by someone that I might have hold in high regard. And, you know, with, with Chomsky, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, even though this is Noam Chomsky, that all of us who subscribe to being on the left have been either directly or indirectly in, influenced by. Um, the most charitable somewhat excuse that I heard that maybe he might possibly have met with him is that Chomsky being a, an intellectual, he has to, as part of being an intellectual, be able to hold diverse, not, not that he holds these views, but be able to entertain them academically without necessarily agreeing with him. I'm like, nah, bullshit. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, Chomp, he's got something on Chomsky 
And that's how he was able to manipulate him uh, for, for that interview. Um, on a, on another, on another note, um, I have a story recommendation that I think would be, at least I think it would be right up you and JB's alley on, on, on the Sabby and JB show. Somebody has to peel back the layers on this story that broke. I think it was last week where, uh, TD Jakes and Wells Park, Wells Fargo bank has announced this $1 billion partnership. Arthur, are you to... reading my mind? <laughs> what? Arthur, are okay, you reading my hear... mind? <laughs> I gotta hear about this. This is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, it's a $1 billion partnership. <laughs> it's a $1 billion partnership where they're supposed to be building see if you've heard this before they're supposed to be building housing and um and they describe this as going to be mixed income housing with the theory of these housing this housing is going to be to where you're going to have diverse people with diverse levels of income sharing sharing this housing and somebody's got to somebody's got to blow the lid on this thing i mean besides the fact that Wells Fargo, with their problematic history of, you know, 53% of black people that have applied for loans have been denied and black people getting higher interest rates than, than others. And, 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 and Wells Fargo employees being pressured to create accounts for customers that didn't create, I mean, that problematic history. But whenever you start talking about building housing and when you uh and you start talking about oh this is going to be mixed income housing and this is going to be good for black people whenever you start talking about that let's take those terms mixed income housing and let's 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 call it what it really is uh, a recipe for gentrification you know there somebody's got to somebody's got Somebody's got to peel the layers, and I. And as soon as I saw that story, because um, I love the the Savvy and JB show, as soon as I saw that story, I was like, "That would be perfect for them." <laughs> so, I'll t- I'll mention it. I'll tell this to JB. He probably really interested in that. Hey, I got. I, I'm 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 beating something. Um, I'm gonna try to beat you to something, because because that uh thing I was ask asking JB to do as well. You can you can make that. Your second thing on the uh, uh, JB and Savvy show, what that thing I was talking about before that I sent you guys a couple of weeks ago regarding the uh, movers and shakers in the black community that, who is it, CNN or someone was saying. I was like, look at these guys, like, what's that word? Determining who our leaders are. Yeah, I remember so that. I, so I said, like, you, you delve into it a little bit because it was at the end of your show. But I was asking, I was asking JB, I was just like, he, he didn't, he doesn't really check his DMs too much, but I was just like, yo, you got to make this part of your show. You know, it kind of get because, you know, he had a death in the family or whatever the case was. So I didn't really push it too much yeah. or whatever, but um, this is the perfect thing. What, so, but also just, I was thinking more expansive also when he was talking about TD Jakes. Um, did you guys ever do that show? Um, that I think you said you was going to do on the black church. 
Did, did you no, speak you just reminded me. Okay. Because that's the, actually, that's where I thought Arthur was going, but he kind of went there, but it was like an example of a bigger problem in our community with the black church. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know. We, we connect the two. We'll connect the two. This is a really good idea. You know, because the thing the thing is, is that, you know, like, was was it, was, oh, yes, because Ruben, yeah, I, I got on here late. So when I got on, Ruben was talking about uh, something about secularism and people are not in church as much and something like, I, I didn't really get the whole thing, but that's what I was thinking of because you got, like, you know, besides all the scandalous stuff that, like, going back to what the Jennifer, I think it was Jenny, Jennifer and, and Crocodile was saying about, you know, pedophiles and, and all different areas of different places or whatever the case was. Mm-hmm. Besides them being in the church or besides them, you know, like you know, screwing all the women in the church, even though it's consensual or whatever the case was, you also have a situation of the money. Like, did they got tax exemptions, okay, but the the choir i think that's no congregation you know the people the patrons who go to church i don't know all these like different terms they should demand a independent audit audit matter of fact they should just get hire an independent audit firm to find out hey all this money that we're donating i'm seeing you sitting on this like uh throne looking thing okay i'm looking at that that car that you driving the rest of us are living in poverty uh where do you live again you live over there what you doing living over there don't say anything roger but you know what i i think people have been trying to call that out for a long time Mm -hmm. yeah Mm, yeah yeah except for those that are actually members of the congregation they may not feel comfortable doing it but those of us that we're kind of on the outside looking in. We see it. <laughs> but no, we need to... Thank you for reminding me about that because we did say you we know, were going to do a show about that. I, what um, I see is... A, oh, I, I, I'm not here? Can you hear me? Am I here now? What, we I'm can down. hear you I'm, now. I'm, oh, Sorry. okay. All right. What I see is a divide between the the genders in the Black community because I see, you know, like, Pretty much black men know a pimp when we see one and we're like, okay, I, th- I see what this dude is doing right here. But a lot of the black women are just enthralled by, you know, like what we were talking about earlier about idolizing, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of them are like so enthralled yeah. with the pastor or the preacher or the reverend. And it's like pastor such and such. I mean, I had to de- actually debate a grown woman about Reverend Crefro Dollar. I'm like, uh, his name. Doesn't that tell you something? <laughs> oh no, the man's name is Reverend Creflo Dollar. What the fuck? Like, what? Do I really got to like explain this to you? Oh no, but but I was like, look, the devil can say, can even the devil can drop knowledge, but that don't mean you should be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, like but that's good. But you know what, Roger and and Arthur, that's the hardest part though. It's hard to convince people that your religious leader of your congregation might just be playing you guys and they're living pretty lavishly 
they have like like I'm gonna I'm keep it real with you guys and like me and JB we've talked about this like off screen as well but like anytime like there are some pastors that have like freaking Mercedes uh-huh big ass house they got a boat and a, a, a pond and shit in the back of the house mm-hmm. and then you <laughs> go you go to the church and some of the people in the congregation are barely making just enough to get by and then it's like they try to shame you if you don't pay tithes one sunday yes god gonna bless you god gonna bless you if you pay these tithes and i just made myself like yo if they don't have it they don't have it i think god would be understanding of that don't you think yeah exactly let me let me tell you a, a story i my um if 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 you're a black child right you was always forced to go to church. And once you got older, you was just like, okay, I'm done, whatever. Some come back, whatever the case is. So my <laughs> um, sister took me to this church, right? And one time she pleaded me for me to just, you know, come back, you know, just this one time or whatever, right? Now, understand, when I was a kid and they looked for tides, they would just pass the plate down the aisle, Okay. But the pastor's son, who had his own church, uh, and I don't know the hierarchy, like reverend, whatever the case was, right? He was, he would, he would make, it wasn't a pass the plate. It was come up here and give us your money. Okay. And the, what he would do is he would, if, let's say if you got up and go to the bathroom, Hey, where you going? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Oh, uh, you know, like the doors would, you know, lock, freaking lock the doors. <laughs> you know, the doors is closed. Nobody can get out. And then when people would come up, he would brag about people giving a hundred, you know, oh, you know, sweet little old lady giving a hundred dollar bill. And he would like shout it out and like, yeah, you know, the hundred dollar bill, whatever. And kind of not be as hype when someone gave five dollars. Like man is on a <laughs> no. Twitch stream. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened? I said like he's on a Twitch stream. Oh, four local gave me hundred dollars. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I, I never been on Twitch, but that's funny. Um, yeah, you know, like, like what does this do? I was like, I was like, I told my sister I ain't never coming back here again. I was, I was happy to leave back in the eighties when when I got old enough. I was like, I'm not coming back here. You know, <laughs> but you know, it's just like. These these people are like politicians, man. It's just like uh, 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 Phil Scott made a joke one time. He said, he said, um, you will have a better time trying to get somebody from our community to pull. Let me see. He said, it's easy to get us to pull away from the church than it is from the Democrat Party. Just throwing a little bit of politics in it, or whatever the case. Interesting, because they're they're both connected. Um, yes. Anything, anything else you wanted to add, uh, Arthur? Arthur and Noel, I want to get your opinion about this too. But go ahead. Yeah, I oh, want I was just going to say, I was just you. You beat me to the punch as far as the relationship between the church and the Democratic Party. That that reliable base of 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 Democratic voters who. Who love Obama and 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 love Biden, Crime Bill Joe, and and there's a there's a definite direct link. But uh, I'm gonna let you guys go because my phone is about to die. <laughs> understand, understand. All right, I'm gonna bring in Kirby. 
Noel, what's your take on uh, uh, this whole? Um, you know, this is very personal for me as well as troubling because of my own experiences with the church. Um, you know, the black church has a very troubled and precarious type of um, space in black life. On the one hand, it was the only safe space that, you know, many of the plantations would allow the slaves to congregate and, you know, worship or whatever you have it. Um, and from that tradition, it became the space where a lot of the civil rights movements and things were, the events were organized through the black church. Um, you know, Martin Luther King was a, a black pastor. So the black church has played a critical role in whatever our freedoms are today. But just like today, the institution is suffering under its own lack of integrity. Um, we have, you know, it has eroded over the years in terms of being responsive to the needs of the underserved black communities. And it is really troubling to see it today. But as we gained access to mainstream America in terms of jobs and employment, people were able to get more money, contribute more money. And again, the same schism that we see that has occurred between the elites and the society as a whole and the working class, we see that same paradigm playing itself out within the black church. Um, you know, and the whole contributions and the lifestyles is a very delicate line to breach because people have been programmed to think of their faith lives and spiritual lives in a different way than they necessarily um, think of the their regular public life. So they see this as sacred and they see those relationships as sacred. And just like we were saying in the public life, when we deify people and make them icons, it is difficult to hold them accountable or even see them in the, through the lens of their frailty and humanity. And sometimes the people closest around these figures are the least willing to see them and the most resistant because they have so much of their own stuff built up into this relationship. You know, um, I've been a member, I was a member of my church for over 30 years before I had to separate out and it wasn't because of my transitioning. It was because when I came to a crisis in my life um, where I had been the victim of a fraud and, and the church that I attended was one of the most politically um, active churches in this Ohio, in Cleveland. You know, they've hosted Martin Luther King back in the day. The Clintons have come through and spoke at different times. Oprah Winfrey, Jesse Jackson, you name it. They've come to my church. So it is the, the pastorate has always been very well connected politically. And while there could be an upside because through these connections, these people can leverage the wheels of justice to work for you, that has not been the case for me. 
And so in my case, the church that I attended to, that I attended for years and was a member of the choir and all of these things was not there for me in my time of crisis. And I'll be honest, it was difficult for me. That was perhaps the deepest, most poignant betrayal I have felt in this entire situation because the church, to my understanding, was operating on a different set of standards, separate and apart from the political public world. Mm -hmm. So when I come to you, I am expecting a different type of leadership and a different type of honesty and commitment because I'm a member of the church and it just didn't, it wasn't there for me. And it was, it all came through silence and it was a very painful thing, but it caused me to see myself and my faith in a whole different way and my connection to my God in a different way. And I realized how the um, pomp and circumstance and the ritual of church life has you indoctrinated because we're all creatures of habit and we're all very routinized. And you get into these routines and you look up and you fail to assess what's really going on around you because you're busy doing your routine. So I think it, it does deserve examination, but it will be a tough nut to crack because people are so insular and so protective with respect to their church families. And that's where the um, the information is. And the thing is, you have to get the disaffected people like me <laughs> who, will speak, who will speak truthfully about their experiences with the church. And even now, I am... It's difficult to me because I don't want to be the one to try and tear down what is working for other people in their lives. But I simply need to be able to speak the truth about my experience within that domain. Yeah, I understand that, too. What's up, Bad Cookies? You're on the mic. Go ahead and unmute. Sabby, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. That's great. Hey, I wanted to congratulate you on uh, the job you did on May Day. That was amazing. You did really good. Oh, thank you. Uh, I actually wanted to talk to you about May Day. Um, what were your impressions of May Day after you were done with your speech? Um, of the event or the the the, the whole event? Yeah. Um, I mean, I wish the turnout would have been bigger. Um, but it is what it is, you know. Um. And I think that, I think this should have been like the number one focus like yesterday, you know, like granted it, it's tricky because like the Chomsky stuff came out and because I'm not live on my channel on Mondays, like obviously, you know, um, I didn't cover that until tonight, but um, I think that we need to get the word out about what May Day is really about and what it means. Cause some people just don't know. Um, like I, I was taught about May Day when I was in elementary school, actually. Um, my teacher like taught us about, she was like, and today is May Day. <laughs> I have a teacher, like she used to tell us about all this stuff. So like, I remember like on May Day, it was like, a, like this was like a big deal. Like, I think we had like a, oh, what's the things called in elementary school when you run out in the field? 
we had field day. I think we had field day on May Day. Like we had races and like events planned and everything. Like it was like a big deal. But anyway, um, that was also in Germany too. So just keep that in mind. But I will say that like, this is like International Workers Day. That's another term for May Day. And I want to make this bigger next year, you know? Like the group that did this in Boston, they do it every year. Every year. I was supposed to do it with them last year, but I think there was a conflict. I think it was the same day as another rally that I had already like committed to or something like that. And um, so I wasn't able to join them last year, but I was able to join this year. But I would like to make this bigger and bigger and bigger like every year if I could. But um, but I will say um, we did get a heckler. I don't know if everyone could hear that through the live stream. I'm not sure, but there was a heckler. There was one woman, she showed up and she had like a, a megaphone. megaphone and man, she really like let it all out. Like she, yeah. <laughs> she was like, she said, I'm reading Sacco and um, Sacco Benny, Sacco and Ven and Ven Benny, or I forget those guys names, but you guys know what I'm talking about. She was trying to read a poem from them. And the thing is, is like, if she wanted to speak, she could have just been a speaker. Like, that's the thing. If she would have just came up and say, can I speak? They would have let her speak. But she didn't do that. Yeah, that's so, actually what someone in the comments said was they he he should um, the speaker had to talk over her, but he should have pulled the Bernie Sanders and just let her come up and talk on stage. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah, but what was crazy is like the guy she interrupted. So I, I think the thing is, is this. I get what she was saying. She was saying that we can't just talk about the class problem. We have to also acknowledge the race issue here in Boston as well. Totally get what she was saying. Problem was her timing didn't work out too well because she said that and she was like, there's indigenous people and black people and da da da. But the guy who was speaking was indigenous. So it was like she was shouting over him. She wasn't shouting over someone who was white. She was shouting over an indigenous guy who honestly started off the speech saying, I am such and such, I am from such and such tribe, and da, da da And then here she just showed up and she shouted over him. And I'm like, there's an indigenous speaker speaking right now and you shouted over him. In fact, there were multiple indigenous speakers. And I was just like, wow. Like the timing was bad. <laughs> I will say that too. But they definitely would have let her speak. That's the thing. But go ahead. Yeah, um... My impression of that uh, whole event was that um, I felt it, it wasn't very focused. Like it, when, when I watched the event, I didn't really get the idea that it was about workers' rights. You know, it, it felt more hijacked than anything. But the only one that I felt was on point was you and uh, the, the Native American black fellow who, who did the little song at the end of his, uh, or, or the chant. The prayer. It was a prayer. I'm sorry. Don't mean to be disrespectful. The guy who said he was a black Indian. Yeah, that fellow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys were like the only ones who were on point, and then everyone else kind of like hijacked it. I I don't know. That was my my feelings on that. But I thought you did fantastic. That's all I wanted to say on that. And uh, as far as this Noam Chomsky thing is concerned, I don't even give a flying fuck about this dude anymore. Never never cared about him ever since he said that shit about we wanting healthcare is candy motherfuckers are dying on the street right now because they don't have health care 
when someone compares it to fucking candy, you have no fucking humanity left in you. I don't give a fuck about you anymore. That's all I want to say, Sebs. Yeah, no one was tripping with that one. He really lost me. Let's bring in um Hakeem. Um why? Hakeem, I don't know what's going on with your account, but for some reason I cannot. I don't know what this is about. Something's up with your oh, here it is. Okay. <laughs> All right, Hakeem, what's up? Hey, Savvy. <clears throat> How you doing? Hey. Been a long time. <clears throat> um I just uh I know that anytime we're talking about children and their safety, anywhere and any place that children can be influenced or accessed is where you're gonna find all these fucking creeps. And it's an, and just like someone said earlier, it's not a surprise like to have our icons or people who we look up to to be dethroned or to find that they're connected somehow to these kinds of of activities that you know everybody knows is is wrong or that we consider to be taboo so you you know what was mentioned was first of all the churches right you got access to children in the churches we all know about that especially the the notorious and infamous catholic connection to child molestation and those different types of um of in, in, uh, and then you have um of course uh when you're talking about um the music industry and the hijacking of that of course because children are influenced by music and these are how you know when it's infiltrated for the purpose of changing the language some subtle little things like that and how that influenced i was just having a conversation today about this earlier about it doesn't matter who's raising the children right it's it could be the parents grandparents teachers friends and just people who just have access to media and so when you can change the 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 information that's being passed on and who's accessing children this is the the biggest problems of all is we're we've lost a lot of access to how we can protect kids. I mean, you see all the time how um, people's children are being taken away from them by child protective services, parents losing their rights all the time. And it's just something that's been slowly eroding for a long time. And unfortunately, there's very little that people feel like they can do. And therefore, they don't take a lot of action. Because we're seeing over and over again, celebrities and political figures and intellectuals, so to speak, like Noam Chomsky and all these other people who have said all these influential things and that we feel so great about. And then it turns out, oh, they're doing such and such a thing. And then, but then, then what happens to them? What, what happens to them? Where, how many, what's the percentage that sees any kind of real serious consequences that are made real examples of? And I know that it's a, it's, it's a, it's not an excuse for people to not take action anymore. Right. But, but a lot of people definitely become complacent 
and despondent and inactive. Like it, it's happened to me in as far as like politics went for a long time where I stopped taking part in any political activity whatsoever because it just felt like it was useless, like nothing was happening. And I think that discussions like these and bringing out information like that is is useful in some ways, but we just have to do more as far as, and, and of course, this is not me saying that, that nobody here isn't, but we need to think more about what are we doing and how are we making it so that this things like this don't get swept under the rug. How do we investigate further, make it more, more well-known that, Hey, we just because we've looked up to these people before doesn't mean that we can't now hold them accountable for the things that they've done. And when we talk about the black community, you see how much, regardless of whether people have done wrong or not, but you see how different, how unbalanced it is when people like, Bill Cosby and R. Kelly and Michael Jackson are drug through these things like that and how they're portrayed when then you have other people who are not people of color, who are these intellectuals or political figures, and it just seems like they get a pass. And for what reason? And I know it's not all about race and it's not all about color. And again, I want to bring it back to that. This is all about the safety and protection of children. And we have to focus, this is the one main point here, is we have to realize that it's not just one area. It's not just one Epstein Island or these different people. We have to be careful and very, very closely look at anywhere where children are influenced and can be accessed. And that's where we're going to find the points where we can start to actually take some action to prevent and to... Uh, Unfortunately, when things happen to respond to these types of um, atrocities, I, I'm going to call it against against children. You know, I, I've been a big Whitney Houston for, fan for a long time, and you all know that song, right? I believe the children are our future. Treat them well and let them lead the way. But look what's happening. So we need to get back to that idea, and we need to figure out, again, what are the the places like music, churches, schools, where they have, where they're being influenced and where they can be accessed. And we need to start looking at that a little bit more closely and take more action. Thank you, uh, Sabi. Thank um, you. I'm always uh, impressed by the subject that you bring up. And um, thanks for letting me have the floor. Be well. <clears throat> Thank you so much, um, Hakeem. Uh, I think you bring up really good points about the bias that comes along with all of this. But also the fact that, yeah, we need to we need to look at those things. We need to look at the fact that, like, for the most part, like children are not protected. They're not. And I want to be clear when we say children, it's not just girls. It's also boys, too. And I think oftentimes, like, you know, we're talking about like Epstein. Those were girls. But there's also boys uh, that go through this as well. And I feel like that's not talked about as often. I'll just go back to the Sandusky uh, case, right? Oh, yeah. That's that's a perfect example. Those were boys. So, and, and I also feel like oftentimes like younger boys that have gone through this don't feel empowered to come forward because they feel like it's even more shameful if you are male. Um, and we need to, we need to find a way to break that 
that stigma from that because abuse is not just brought upon girls it's also brought upon boys as well but i really do feel like based on what i've seen over the years is that boys don't feel empowered to come forward the way that girls do because boys feel like it's more shameful in some way shape or form go ahead uh crocodile i saw you unmute okay so i have so many things that i think about right now um as far as like i just want to interject this first be careful who you bring your kids around. Unfortunately, when I, I said this earlier, most of the people who got abused got abused by family members. Um, that was the first point I was going to make. And I completely agree with you about the um, males not coming forward because I know some males who haven't come forward. Some was like opposite genders. Some was same genders who abused them. Um, both were someone who was close to a family member, a family member's friend, and the other one was an actual family member. The one, they just, because it was a family member, they just said, that didn't happen to you. And because it was um, same sex. But that didn't happen to you. That didn't happen. And then the other one refuses to acknowledge what happened to him because it was a woman he was, I think he said like 12 or 13 and she was like 20 something. Um, but it made him hypersexual. And so he, I, when I was, when I would talk to him, I'd be like, these aren't normal things that you portray because he would think that it was normal to offer sex, to get rides home places <laughs> and just like stuff like, just like offering his body for things. And I'm like, that's, hold on. And he couldn't have normal relationships with women either. And he'd never talked to anybody because his brothers had hyped him up after it had happened. Um, <laughs> so angry. But yeah, um, on top of like some just not feeling comfortable coming forward. Sometimes society also tells you, oh, well, you shouldn't be mad about that. You should be happy. A woman had sex with you. Like, no. I, there, there's. A, I want to bring up something. There's a movie in reference to that. There's a movie that Adam Sandler made called, um, oh, shoot. I forget the name of, oh, That's My Boy. And the movie is about, like, Adam Sandler's character as a teenager. He was sleeping with his female teacher. And that movie got a lot of criticism because... The critics felt like the movie basically promoted uh, a boy, you know, high-fiving him for sleeping with his teacher. And it's a comedy, but at the same time, it's like, nah, that shit is not cool. Like, it, like it's not okay. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or, or a girl. He was taken advantage of by an adult, and that is not okay. And I think to your point, Crocodile, like it was considered a comedy because the character was a boy. If the character would have been a female, it would have not been considered a comedy. It would have been like a Lifetime movie, basically. And it would have been like, okay, let's learn a lesson from this movie. But because it was Adam Sandler and the character was a boy that went through this, all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is a comedy. But that's not funny. And and I listen. I I love Adam Sandler's like older stuff, but I felt like that movie and it was based here too. It was like based in in Boston. That movie I felt like that was not okay. 
Because what that says to like younger boys is like, yeah, that's like some type of street cred or some type of high five because you slept with your teacher. It it almost makes it seem like like for boys, like that's a, a good thing. And it's not a good thing, regardless if you're a boy or a girl, for an adult to take advantage of a minor. That's not good, period. Go ahead, Ashira. Uh, you just reminded me of a story that uh, happened. Uh, I was told this story oh, a couple of years ago. There used to be a high school that my uh, sister and then my younger brother used to go to. And I was talking to a guy that um, he used to go there, too. And, I, and we were just chatting. And he said that one of the teachers uh, banged one of the guys that were on the football team. Because there's like a there's a huge field right next to the high school. And you would see these kids just training there. And they said the reason why she got caught is because he went and bragged about it. How it always happens. Go ahead, Noel, because I, I yeah, want to say something. This is um, an underexplored and under-discussed topic, but we have to see this as the way our culture programs masculinity and the way it programs the boys who become men. And these are the men that begin to be the purveyors and advance the cause of patriarchy and we wonder why we as women have such a difficult time in this society um but we have to create that safe space and we have not created an equal or parallel safe space for male children to discuss their traumas of any nature because men are not supposed to handle trauma in the same way girls do but we really have not created in my opinion the appropriate safe space for boys to come forward and talk about these things um in safety and feel like they will be heard and that their masculinity or their malehood or manhood is not damaged because of what has happened to them and you know just as crocodile said in terms of the heterosexual abuse, and as you say, Sabi, it is translated as a type of rite of passage almost. And so these men sometimes move forward with distorted understandings of the male-female relationship. And sometimes there is a hypersexuality, but there is also a latent devaluation of women within those men. Because the child that was injured, no matter what you were taught to think of it, there is still an injured child somewhere deep in that hypersexual man. And sometimes the layers, it gets layered over so much that he is not able to speak to it as a man, but the hurt and the violation is still there. And these, and, and I hasten to say, that in a lot of circumstances, we have come to understand that pedophiles were once abused as children themselves. So there was a cycle that could be potentially created. And so, you know, and when it is a homosexual type of abuse, people in this society have not been able to discern pedophilia from homosexuality 
and they mingled the both the two together and think of adult homosexual people as pedophiles and that's a disservice to um, the homosexual community. So it is really, but again, it is all of the secrecy and the hiding and the shaming and all of that, which is why these things perpetuate because they're kept in the dark. They're kept cloaked and they continue to move forward. And so we have to really be able to have these discussions with our kids. And so that the children, and, and you know, the sad thing about it is the kids who come from intact families have a better chance, but a lot of kids in this society that's played with poverty do not come from intact families. And they're the ones who are most vulnerable because the abusers can sense the need to have someone care about them and they exploit those children. And that part is, it's just, you know, it's just horrible and it is an atrocity. And it, I just, I don't. That is incredibly important. What you just said there, Noel, about how certain children may be targeted. It's true. Um, when I was doing um, my observations in, in public education, you know, some of the kids that, that came from, I don't want to say broken homes. I don't like that phrase, like broken homes. Like, But some of the kids that came from like a single family home or they came from a home where both of the parents were working like maybe two jobs or they weren't at home when their kids got home to tell them like do their homework. So some of these kids were like raising themselves basically. And this was like at an elementary school here in Boston. And I remember just thinking to myself that like, wow, these kids are so mature for their age. But then as I got to know them and they would tell me about like, there's just their life at home. I thought to myself, like, no wonder they're mature for their age. They're pretty much raising themselves, you know? And if the parents aren't home, then the TV is raising them or other older people, older kids in their neighborhood are raising them. And this is also how some kids get involved in gangs because the parent figure isn't there. No fault to the parent, because like I said, a lot of these kids' parents are working like two jobs. So this goes back to capitalism. This goes back to the system at play. But I noticed that like they were growing up too fast and there's no way if I am observing a third grade class that these kids are already knowing about sexual activity to a level that I don't feel a third grader should know. And it was very, I think, alarming to me. And I just thought to myself, like, where did, I remember asking them, like, where did you see this? On Showtime or on HBO? And I'm like, why? And I remember thinking to myself, like, there's no one there. There's no one there to tell them don't watch this. Or even the parents do tell them don't watch that. If they're not there to watch them, then they don't know that they're not doing it, right? So then they're influenced by some of the other behaviors in the neighborhood when the parents are not around. And uh, I think, you know, it, it goes back to a capitalist system where people have to work nonstop for the most part on working two jobs or long hours so that they can't be at home with their kids to teach them 
these things and to help them with their homework and to cook dinner for them and all those kinds of things. This is a problem across, across the country. It's not just a problem like in Boston. And I think the thing is, is that this is why I always bring it back to the system. This is why something like May Day is so important. This is why worker rights are so important because as long as we allow billionaires to control and manipulate and exploit the workers, then the family unit will never be whole. It'll never be the way it was like when our parents grew up or our grandparents grew up, where everybody in the neighborhood kind of knew each other and looked out for each other. It'll never be that way again because they don't have time. Like my grandparent, my grandmother used to tell me about growing up and how my like my my grandfather um or my great grandfather like worked and my great grandmother stayed home. I don't even know what that life is like. You know, like I, I'm a part of a generation where most of us have to have like two income. There is no or we have to have roommates. There is no I stay home and you work. Like I stay home and take care of the kids and you work. No, both of us have to work. That started with um my generation, um uh X in the in the eighties. Um there was a, a you know, like you said, it kind of goes back to what I was that long speech that I gave like a couple of weeks ago about worker solidarity was broken when um they turned us into consumers. And they got rid, they, they allowed like women to have credit cards in their name in the seventies. And then, you know, it, it, it all attaches to that, you know, and I could tell you there was a lot of teenage pregnancies in the eighties. Cause when both of the parents are working and you're in high school, you know, you get home earlier than, than the rest, rest of the kids. I mean, then, then like the grades lower, you see what I'm saying? So that, also it may you know it's not just oh they might be getting involved in gang gangs they're also getting involved in some other stuff also you know what i mean i I knew like a lot of people i went to high school with that got pregnant before they even graduated so that that plays into it as as well because like you said no one's home watching the kids um oh i also want to i just want to say something really quick also roger and pass it back to you there were a lot of teen pregnancies in the 90s too yeah. Well, yeah, because it continued. Because I was just saying that it started where both parents had to go to work. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? And it, it just continued. It's been that way since. Regarding when you said about an hour or two ago, when you said about you can't, you haven't talked about Seymour Hirsch because of the YouTube stuff, um, you, you got to read it. Just do what uh, Pasta and Fiorella used to do. Just be like, all right, we're going to switch over to Rockfin to talk, to talk about some things. You might want to think about, you know, like doing doing certain topics just on Rockfin. Yeah, I could do that because um, for people who don't understand, like the larger channels, like they don't, they're not affected by this the way that I would be. Like YouTube will take down a smaller channel first because we don't make as much money for YouTube. Whereas YouTube most likely is not going to take down like Jimmy Dore's channel because Jimmy Dore makes you know, because they, he has so many subscribers, that's more revenue and money for YouTube. 
So usually they come after the smaller channels first. That's why like they demonetize people like Frank Analysis and like um, Convo Couch. But Convo Couch, like they, uh, they have actually, you know, built a really good following on um, Rockfin. But like that's that's why they'll do that is because like they know they're not losing much by demonetizing us. That's why they demonetized Jackson Hinkle. If you notice, when they demonetized Jackson Hinkle, that was before he really, really blew up. That was before he got to like over 200,000 subs. So they'd be like, okay, let's go ahead and take him out. But now it's just like, I mean, like Kim Iverson was on a couple days ago. Kim told you like they just like basically gave her a strike for one of her videos with um, RFK Jr., which was like an old video. This was like when he came on to talk about the vaccines. And that's why, even to this day, that's why we'll talk about that on YouTube because that's a part of their gu- their policy, their guidelines. They're really picky about that one. They That one they will not mess with. I mean, they, they even uh, took out a, a video from INN because they, I didn't know Misty was a radio host, so I, I, I listened to the show, and they were gonna, they were dissecting it in their video, and they took it down because Jareed Orr was on it. No, because they brought up Ivermectin yeah, yeah, and the well, vaccine. Yeah, Ivermectin, because yeah. I said, yeah, Jimmy Dore was on it, so Jimmy Dore brought it up, and boom, they, they took it down. Uh, but Jimmy probably thought, but I will say this, Jimmy probably thought it was safe to talk about it. Because it was on TNT radio, which on TNT yeah. radio it is. Jimmy probably didn't know that it was also going to be broadcast on YouTube. Yeah, because YouTube basically makes you they don't want to talk about anything they don't want. So nope. you have to be careful what you post on YouTube. Uh, also, want to talk about like the you know the video you put out last. I think the segment about the White House dinner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the one about John Legend. And I didn't notice when I saw the clip, there were three people behind her carrying her dress. And that reminded me, like, uh, with AOC Tax the Rich dress, she had also people carrying her dress. I was like, what the fuck? Yep. Can you imagine, can you imagine the White House Correspondents Dinner if Kynan and Jose crashed that? Oh, they, they, they'd be on a terrorist list. <laughs> they'd be on Guantanamo Bay. Would, I think that's their ultimate goal. Like they, after that, they would have been like, "Oh, I could die now." No, I'm just kidding. Don't die. Oh. <laughs> who can? There'll be who can Jose? Sorry, I just wanted to jump in real quick because someone asked. It was a while ago in the comments, but I wanted to clarify for them. You, they don't know me. They wanted to know if I took that person up on the offer. No, of course I did not take my friend up on that offer. I ended up just becoming what Noel said, just a safe haven for him. He calls me his sister and he calls me with his issues. Um, but she hit the nail on the head with the him seeing women in a bad light after the abuse. Because one of the reasons that he had so many issues with women is because he, he, he didn't really see them as people. <laughs> um and we would have falling outs about that sometimes because I try to give him advice like, hey, this isn't good. All women aren't bitches and hoes. You're not just just run through them. Um, they're also people who you can make connections with. And he was not. So like 
sometimes we have falling outs, but he, if he has an issue, he always knows he can come talk to me. I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know you don't talk about this much, Savvy. You ever wondered uh, why do Hollywood always, always like to uh, wear like, a bunch of these weird clothes just because they got the money to buy them? They just don't donate that shit somewhere somewhere that fucking needs the money? That's a good question. Um, well, some of them are actually given... Um, they're given those clothes. Like, they're not actually paying for them. Like, there are designers, like, I would say big name designers like Louis Vuitton, et cetera. And they will create uh, clothing for them to wear, to get their name out there and to also like show it off at an award show. And like, for example, a perfect example is the Jennifer Lopez uh, Versace dress. It's the green one. I actually don't think it's it's a pretty dress. No shade to to J Lo. She wore it like a champ, but I don't think I would not buy that dress, even was if I had the money to. Agreed. It's what, ugly. Was it, was it, like it's, it is. <laughs> it's like green. I'm walking through the jungle, and here's the plants and the leaves and shit. Like I'm not really into that kind of like clothing, and so. But anyway, that Versace dress became iconic. Because Jennifer Lopez wore it to an awards event and nobody could have worn it like J-Lo, like at that point in time. And I know some people have criticism of J-Lo is cool, but whatever. She wore that fucking dress and she made the dress look good because it wasn't a good dress. Okay. I'm sorry, Versace. The dress was shit, but she made it look good. It wasn't even the style of the dress that was a problem. It was the print. It was the, right. the green, I'm going through the jungle print. It just did not look right. But she made it work. And Jennifer Lopez, years later, wore that dress again. Aww. And she still rocked that shit. So what I'm saying is, is, like, her wearing it was promotion for the company. And also, like, it created a buzz. Like, other people were like, I want to get that dress. How do I get that dress? So what they'll do is like they'll either let a celebrity just wear it for the event or they'll give it to them. So that's what people have to understand. A lot mm-hmm. of times when these celebrities, some of the clothing that they're wearing, especially when they're going to award shows, they're not paying for those outfits. Or the jewelry. I, I, they have to give all that back a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Especially even if you were to buy that dress, like some of these dresses are see-through, some of them just look fucking ridiculous. I'm like, why would you wear that shit on the carpet? Mm-hmm. Because they it was given to them for free. And, you know, they get goodie bags, too. Like, when they come to those award shows, they get, like, goodie bags and everything. And so, so like, one of my, like, supervisors, like, she used to work in Hollywood. And, like, she used to work in entertainment. And so, like, that's why I knew about a lot of this stuff. But she was saying that, like, people think that celebrities pay for all this shit. They don't pay for as much as you think they do. Like, yeah, they'll pay for their house and their car, like that kind of shit. But like when it comes to even like the clothing and the purses, like the bags that the women carry and stuff like that, a lot of times that shit's paid for. Like it's given to them. Uh, wasn't the the one that AOC wore the dress, didn't she? I don't think she was, it was given to her, right? I think it was lended to her. 
and she kept the dress. <laughs> and then they mm-hmm. they basically made their interns pay for the dress or some shit like that. What? Yeah, but that's that's a problem if you're a politician, and that's why AOC got in trouble for that. Yeah, because they yeah, it was it was like fucked up. They, they, she thought the dress was hers or some shit. I, I saw AOC in a a new dress on Twitter, and someone was just fawning over her. Oh, look, it says uh, something around look, no breast, no plastic surgery. No implants, all natural, all cool. This is AOC. This is the queen. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I think that that video, that picture was Doctor. Oh, okay. Was, and I, and I, was, I was because, like, really? She she got AOC them. She got, she got, get, no, she got them in between. Lucy, Lucy will tell you this. Lucy has seen her in person multiple times. Lucy canvas for AOC. AOC does not look like that in person. And this is not to like, you know, shit on AOC, but that picture was definitely doctored. Okay, definitely. She does not have, she does not have those curves and she not damn cool. sure ain't got those boobs. Uh, I was like, really? I've, she had those boobs? I'm like, okay. No. It no. looked real. No. No, she don't look, you ain't never see her look like that. Mm-hmm. You can do that easily I, with apps, guys. Like, there's apps where you can like make make someone look like they have more curves and stuff like that. But AOC doesn't look like that because, like, Lucy had <laughs> talked about this before. She said like she was surprised, like the first time she met her in person, that she does not actually have like those curves and stuff like that. But, so, so if somebody yeah. saw you at the what, what what was the event again? May Day. If somebody saw you at May Day and basically they docked the video and said, hey, Sabi has some yams. Would that be true or false? What? I have some yams like the yams you eat? Legs. <laughs> Legs? I'm yeah, five. Okay. Fi- I'm five five. <laughs> that's Wolverine's height. <laughs> I'm I'm not tall, but I'm not I'm not short. Mm. Okay, I'll I'll be waiting for someone to put a doctor video. Says Sabi got some yams at uh, May Day. Yeah, it's funny because like be... everybody who's met me, and I haven't met that many people like in this space. I've only met a couple people, and it's usually through rallies. But the thing is, is like I'm five five. Most of the people I have met are taller than me. Max Blumenthal was taller than me. Tara Reid was taller than me. Um, who else? Shit, Garland Nixon taller than me. Uh, Gabriel and John Shipton, Julian Assange family, they are tall. They are tall. Like, so it's funny. Like, you see me, like, if I take pictures with, like, a lot of people, it looks like I'm really, really short. They're just tall. Uh, Jimmy Dore is taller than me. I thought me and Jimmy would have been the same height. I thought Jimmy Dore had a back problem. I've never wondered if he's a tall guy. He looked more like a short dude. I thought we would have been the same height. But no, like he's taller than me. Um, and keep in mind, I did not have on heels during any of these these interactions. So um, who else did I meet that I thought was going to be shorter and they were taller? Okay, so Jose, <laughs> when I met Jose, he was standing on like the top step and I was on the, the bottom step. So I actually don't know if Jose's taller than me or not. Um, but I, I'm just going to say I hugged a lot of people. And I'm usually going in at the chest because I'm, <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> like Rome will tell you, Rome will say, Sabby's not short either. She's tall. I'm five, five. It just, it, Rome is definitely taller than me. Um, JB's tra- taller than me. And my husband's taller than me. Like most people are taller than me. Cause I'm five, five. Do you have to look up? Yeah. Like usually for most people, I, I do. I'm trying to think there was someone I met. Actually, no, the bank sisters, Keisha and Courtney, we're the, we're about the same height, which was interesting because on camera, they look taller. But when I met them in person, when we went to Camp Dada, I expected them to be even taller, but we're about the same height. What about you so and Lucy? that was interesting. Huh? You and Lucy. We're about the, so me, Lucy, I'm going to find that picture. Me, Lucy, Delilah, and the Bank sisters, I think we all took a picture together. We're all about the same height. So when's that video coming out? You've been saying you've been putting that video out at some point. Oh, shit. You just reminded me. Damn, Ashura. I, I mean, forgot. you can say that. I mean, what was that? What was I that know. Last said it was like February or some shit. You said, we're going to put that video out. And I've been wanting but to watch that video. But this is why I should not edit videos myself. I'm terrible at this. I'm going to just go ahead and pass that over to Eric and say, Eric, can you pass this? Wait, you still haven't passed it to Eric? I thought you would have done that a long time ago. No. Busted. She told on herself. I did. I thought you would have passed it a long time ago when she said that the first time I'll pass it to Eric. Well, what is this video? There was call outs from, there was fault, not call outs. There was fallouts from Camp Dada and I even questioned posting it, you know? Oh, I questioned posting it because of that. So that kind of delayed it, but I think I should still post it. So I don't think you want to open up. I don't think you want to open up those type of, I mean, you do what you want, but you know. So you're not, you're not talking to the bank sisters no more or what? I didn't fall out with anyone. Okay, because uh, you say fallout. Because I know the only person I know there was a fallout is what the bank sister talked about. This one girl that used to be on RBN. And the, they said that she was skimming money from them. There were other fallouts recently. Okay. Unfortunately. And there were other ones that you guys just don't know about. Um, but I'll, I'll reach out to them and ask them if it's okay for me to still post it. and 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 we'll see. Because some people that are in it, I know, were not genuine after the fact, which sucks. Yeah, it's it's that one. You just can't get a bunch. You just can't get a bunch of women together. No, just kidding. no. It it was it was more. It was it was dudes. Actually, I think there were more guys than women. Well, I thought that was a women event. I didn't think there were dudes in there. No, it was. I assumed it was event. like for girls or some women and girls no. to basically just bond together. No, no, there were guys too. Um, there, I think there were more guys than women actually. Um, but after the fact, it was very obvious that some people were just infiltrators. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I think you should just close that door, <laughs> not reopen it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you'll take one more call. You got somebody there, Hakeem, so I love that, so I said what I needed to say. Hakeem Jeffries? No, I'm just kidding. All right, we'll bring in Hakeem, and then we'll close out. What's up, Hakeem? 
Oh no! I mean, so since since we've uh, waded into somewhat shallower waters for a little bit, having worked in film and television, I know firsthand what you're talking about. A lot of times, we'd give hundreds of thousands of dollars of jewelry and clothing to celebrities for music videos and movies and stuff like that, and then take it back sometimes. And some of it was was given to them for exactly the reasons that you said for them promoting it, like with the JLo dress and all that. So, um, and then back to a little bit deeper, um, to the point that was made. Yes. A lot of times guys talking about abuse that happens to them. There's a huge stigma about that, um, about talking about anything that happens. So, um, and I mean, and I, I know that too, just even, um, stuff from being a kid and also from having, uh, an intimate partnership where I was, you know, threatened and, uh, psychologically, emotionally, and physically abused by a woman. So even as an adult and a child, as a male, those things are very difficult to talk about. But so yeah, there's, there's a little shallow and a little deep, but yeah, the whole celebrity thing is, is, is uh, true. So, all right. Later guys. Thanks so much, Hakeem. All right, let's wrap up with everybody else. Let's go to Noel. Any last thoughts? Um, yes, it was a wonderful evening. Um, and I really do enjoy the exchanges and the sharing of information. Um, and this is, a, I think, a really good community. So I appreciate it. And again, I think you did a great job at um, May Day. And I just hope, you know, everybody is able to find their space in the sun. I hear you. Go ahead, Crocodile. Oh, this was lovely. My first one. Um, and I love being able to learn new things and add to public discourse. It was great. I especially love to tell about the child marriage thing because no one knows and they need to know because <laughs> we need more people to get on it. Um, but yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Roger. So I want people to do this as an, as an exercise. Pick your top three, maybe three to five top, you know, like issues in terms of prioritizing. Because we, we care about a whole bunch of things. We probably, if you asked us, we probably care about 20 to 30 things. But we have to determine what we're going to prioritize. And I would like everybody here to do that exercise. Get a pen and paper, you know, whatever, and write down one of your top, top three to five priorities, whether it's direct democracy, banks, income inequality, healthcare, infrastructure, housing, government accountability, public education, accountability in policing and criminal justice, corporate accountability, censorship, reparations, foreign policy, protecting children, sex trafficking, whatever it may be, and master that and see what you can do toward putting it toward a citizen ballot initiative amendment or law. That is awesome. I actually want to, I want to finish with the song. Um, Are you going to sing for us? No. <laughs> but someone else is going to sing for you guys. 
This is a song they used to play, like when I used to go clubbing. I haven't been clubbing in like years, okay? But like when I used to go clubbing and it was time to turn on the lights and time to bring people home. And they would be like, all right, this is it. This is the song they used to play. I'll never forget this. And some of you might be like, oh my God, I remember this song. And some of you might be like, I've never heard this song. But you're going to hear it now. Because this is the jam. So let me see if I can. Okay, here it is. Here we go. Closing time. <laughs> you know, bad cookie said. Bad cookie says Sabby went to white folks bars. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's what they were playing at the club when they wanted you to leave. But joke was on them because a twenty-year-old can twerk to anything. So, <laughs> all right, guys, closing out. Have a good night. Good morning. <laughs> Bye. We got to play chess. <laughs>